This is episode 304 of the Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker, as well as go over the week in movie news and movie trailers, all that and more. This episode of Real Me In starts right now. What is going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Real Me In, colon, a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Chase Lee, and thank you for uh, tuning in to this episode 304. Uh, if you are new to the show, welcome. If you're looking for a movie podcast on the the podcast, you know, uh, you know, apps out there, and you came across this one, you took a chance on us, we really do appreciate it. And hopefully you can stick around for the discussion if you're looking for, uh, you know, just... Film conversation, that's what we're here to do. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. We always appreciate you all uh, joining us every single week. As I stated up at the top, this is episode 304, and yes, we will be going over the finale, the conclusion, the end to the saga that is Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. And of course, uh, as we all know that Joel is not a big Star Wars fan, so this will be very, very rough for him. Um, so yeah, that will be the main topic of conversation. We're going to split it up uh, and do the new format um, for you guys. You know, you guys will get used to it, uh, but we, we tried it out. Um, what was it last week, Joel, or two weeks ago? Um, where we- I guess, well, we've done the, this is This is sort of what we do with big movies. Uh, we did it on, I think... I think we first did it on Avengers Infinity War, maybe, or a similar thing. But I mean, in terms of like splitting up, like talk about the movie, do the news and trailers, oh, and right. talk about the movie, uh, or right, movies. Right, right. Yes, um, we're gonna yes. be doing that for for multiple movies. Um, sometimes both of us. Sometimes it's just us reviewing one and then me reviewing one in this new year. Um, in this case, yes, it's it's talking about you know the movie in terms of spoiler free discussion, so it's free. It's uh, uh, good for people to uh, to listen to who haven't seen it yet, and then we'll be um, you know at the end of the show talking about our spoiler filled thoughts. And uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to be had in that department, at least on my end. Oh, so no, it, for it, sure. But um, yeah, that will be the uh, the kind of layout today. Is we'll talk about Star Wars, then we'll do uh, trailers and news, and then we'll get into the heavy spoilers uh, that's been dominating the interwebs uh, thus far. Um, before I throw it over to uh, Joel and ask him how his couple weeks were, because we were on a hiatus, um, if you guys could just like this uh, episode, spread it around, subscribe to the Real Me In feed, uh, you guys will get all, you know, mini reviews, full shows, a bunch of content. I'm going to get into that in just a second when Joel throws it back to me, and I'll tell you what I caught up on uh, the past couple weeks. But, um, yeah, if you could please do that, uh, it would help support the show, and we would really appreciate it. So, Joseph, it has been a couple of weeks uh, since we have, uh, you know, met up uh, in a podcast, you know, kind of forum. And so, you know, what's been going on? Uh, you know, are, are you getting prepped up for the holidays in your house? You know, what is a Copeland house like around <laughs> uh, the holiday season? We've actually already had our Christmas celebration. Uh, we had it this past Sunday because there's going to be family out of town, uh, I think, starting My oldest brother and his wife and kids, uh, they're going to be gone, I think, either starting tomorrow or the next day. Um, I can't remember where they're going. They go all over the world, and I just – I forgot in particular in this particular case. I think it might be the Bahamas. Um, and uh, and then the other brother and, and sister-in-law and uh, their kids, 
are going to be leaving on um, Christmas Day, I think around noon, and they're going up to, to her family uh, in Kansas. So uh, we already had our Christmas celebration. It was a lot of fun. It was on Sunday. Um, I missed part of it just because of work, but I got the uh, the present opening and, and all of that, you know, the get-together part. So that was nice. Otherwise, you know, just kind of – I had caught up with, you know, most of what I needed to, but by the time I saw uh, – by, by the time I did that. Um, so this week has been all about kind of just revisiting Star Wars movies <laughs> and prep for this new one, which, of course, I had to do that. I didn't re- revisit – this time, uh, A New Hope or The Last Jedi, because I had seen them for various reasons pretty recently. Um, and so I didn't do that, but I did all of the other ones. And in fact, I guess I'll get into this a little bit more in a little bit once we talk about the, the new one, because that's when I'm going to go off once again for, for anybody who's just joining us, you know, my history with the series. But I'll just say that for me... Something something massive shifted within me uh, this week as a as a Star Wars fan, and I never never anticipated it, but but we'll get there. We'll get there. This is just a little tease for our uh, for our review, and uh, we'll be getting to that soon. But other than that, you know, just kind of uh, preparing for this for this past uh, for this last week. Uh, lots of work shifts, as is usual for uh, for retail in December. It's been insane. Um, and have had some scammers come through trying to do, trying to do this thing and had a really, really, really awful Monday night shift this past Monday, the 16th. Um, just bad, bad, bad. Uh, in terms of the stuff that I've been watching, you know, I'm all caught up on Mandalorian. Uh, love it. And, um, I think it's great. I still need to catch up on Watchmen. I've only seen two episodes. (laughs) I'm really way behind. Like I've, like I've, made clear i really try with with tv shows and then i just prioritize movies and it gets all behind me but i do have this coming week where or maybe the following week where i can i i might have a little bit of time um again though lots of work you know especially with a uh, a sale coming up at work we have a we have a big time sale on like i think like 35 percent of the store um that's going to be insane that's next weekend um, after, uh, after we record our episodes and, um, might be before even. So anyway, yeah, just, uh, just a crazy couple of weeks with work and, and personal stuff and, uh, and some movies thrown in too, but maybe not as many as, as I would have liked. I did see waves. I was finally able to see waves in full. Uh, that was last week, last Wednesday. Um, and I really liked that. Um, I saw Richard Jewell, which was, bad unfortunately i think it's down there with uh 1517 to paris um in terms of recent clint eastwood and i've been kinder to him than than a lot of other people recently but it was bad he's uh, talking about flat. Me. <laughs> um well <laughs> that's true but uh, but a lot of people are not fans of sully and i don't understand why so it's uh yeah but <clears throat> this one's bad it's bad it's flat dramatically flat nobody's good except for sam rockwell not even the main guy um his performance is completely overblown to me um kathy bates is embarrassing herself olivia wilde is phenomenally awful only sam rockwell seems to really understand that he might be working with a role with uh with any sort of conviction it's just you know i mean it has a couple of good scenes including the actual explosion is pretty well handled 
there's also a, a really interesting scene that actually let us know kind of fully who who are very much the heroes of that situation equally to Richard Jewell, which are a, a group of drunk kids who accidentally knocked over the backpack so that, uh, so that unintentionally, I mean, you know, so that it blew upward instead of outward toward the crowd, um, which is really amazing. And I would want kind of, um, if this movie had been good, I think it would have been interesting to see sort of a Flags of Our Fathers, Letters from Iwo Jima t- type thing from Eastwood about those kids and where they found themselves after all of that would have been really interesting. Uh, because they saved a lot of lives. I mean, two people still died, but they just happened to be really, really close to the uh, to the explosion. They were two of the closer people, but they saved you know hundreds potentially. It was a nail bomb, so it would have been it would have been catastrophic, um, even more so than it was. And uh, yeah, so but whatever is a bad movie. Just yeah, some of the weakest cinematography too. Uh, he's been doing really well with cinematography in this movie kind of ends that run but um but yeah so that one and then i saw uh what else oh dark waters which i liked um the the new core sort of legal thriller with uh with mark ruffalo um quite good it's actually kind of the good version of richard jewell <laughs> almost where it's a real story but it's done with panache and a lot of conviction and Really good performances, great cinematography. Ed Lockman, you know, it's the director and cinematographer of Carol, if that makes anybody excited. Um, and so, really like that. Um, trying to think of what else. I skipped Bombshell. I was going to see that today, but decided not to. Um, and then, of course, you know, like I said, just gearing up for Star Wars. It's sort of the event of my lifetime. Um, I know that it's. <laughs> It's certainly an event of your lifetime, although it's not the one that you were you were anticipating as much as Avengers Endgame and whatnot. Uh, but for me, this was this was nerd heaven. I was I was in heaven. So we'll we'll get we'll get in terms of walking in there. So we'll get into that. Uh, but yeah, that was my couple of weeks. I know that you were gone, so let's hear all about it. Oh yeah, so uh, went to go visit the in laws, uh, and they live in uh, <clears throat> excuse me Arlington, Virginia. And we were walking around on the first day, and I sent Joel a picture. And I could not believe out of the six locations that are uh, around the country, I ran into an Angelica Film Center. Uh, and if you guys don't know this, especially for some of our, our people that live outside the U.S., uh, Joel and I live in Texas, and we live near two of them out of the six. So we have a third of them in this state alone, and then they're just spread all over the place. I think there's one in California. Uh, of course, the one I was at, and I think one in New York and one somewhere else. But, um, yeah, it was just really weird. Uh, I, I felt like I never left home. I was like, oh, cool. That's literally down the road from their house. How funny. Um, saw uh, Lincoln Memorial, Jefferson Memorial, the White House, uh, all the, you know, sites that you see when going to, uh, you know, like Virginia and then Washington, D.C. and stuff. Uh, so it was fun. Uh, you know, I've. I've always liked history and stuff, so it was really cool to see where everything was at, at least, because, you know, uh, especially for, like, Joel and myself and, you know, going into, the, you know, the theme of the podcast, you know, you see all these monuments and sites and movies all the time, and when you finally see it, it's just, uh, it's pretty crazy. I, I told um, uh, I told my lady uh, when we were at the, 
the Lincoln Memorial. And I, I said this, and I'm sure people heard me, and uh, they probably looked at me weird. And I turned to her and I said, hey, this is the Lincoln Memorial. This is really cool. Um, the only thing I can think of right now, uh, movie-wise, is that terrible Planet of the Apes ending when uh, Mark Wahlberg walks up to it and there's a monkey face on <laughs> Lincoln's body. He turns around and he gets arrested by a bunch of uh, uh, monkey cops. And it's <laughs> it's the best. Um, uh, it's the best it's, worst. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm a defender of the movie, but I will not defend that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's not it's a, a good bad ending. ending. Really, <laughs> it's, really bad. It's, so that's the only thing I thought of. And she was like, uh-huh. She just walked away, walked away. But uh yeah, it was really cool to see. She's um, like, "Now I finally know Chase." Yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm getting divorced. Um and we're not even married yet. Um yeah, it, it was just really cool to see all those sites and stuff. Um so, to get into the movie watching. So, first of all, uh I am unlike Joel and I love TV and so I will finish it over movies sometimes. Shh, don't tell anybody. Um but I finished Watchmen. Uh we both finished it and um, it, she was a little kind of not on board the first couple episodes because she had no idea what was going on. But then she really got into it. Um, I think after episode three or four, and then just from that point on, it was just a really great season of television. And I'm so glad that you know HBO. You know, I, I know a lot of people after Game of Thrones were like, "I'm I'm unsubscribing. I'm canceling." It's like, no, they they put out good stuff besides Game of Thrones. It's just. You know, whether it hits or not. And I think Watchmen is the first big hit post-Game of Thrones world. Uh, I will still vouch for Westworld. Uh, I can't wait for Season 3 to come back next year. But uh, until then, Watchmen is definitely one of the better things they've done thus far. Um, Also finished Silicon Valley. Uh, Still one of the funniest shows I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Check it out uh, in its entirety if you want on HBO. And then that's about it in terms of television. Movies, 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 movies. So I caught up on a lot of stuff. And Joel already knows because I I send him pictures of um, stacks of movies that I get in the mail. And I, you know, I prioritize. And so I tell the missus, I'm like, all right, so which ones do you want to see? And which ones do you want me to just watch by myself? And I only had to watch one of of them by myself, which I watched today um, because it dropped on Netflix. But uh, the rest of them she wanted to see. And so on Monday, December 23rd, this is how it's going to go down. Starting at 8 a.m. And for uh, – so I will drop a review at 8 a.m. on December 23rd. Another hour will pass at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. Another review will drop. Then another – I'm I'm not going to tell you how many I've done so far. But I will tell you it's a handful. And you're going to get a – bunch of mini reviews on um on monday uh so i won't tell you how many movies uh, i reviewed and caught up on i won't tell you which ones they are i will just tell you watch out for monday december 23rd at 8 a.m central standard time you're gonna get a bunch of them um and i'm gonna drop them all like blurbs on twitter instagram and stuff so joel will know which ones i saw but uh, I caught up on a lot of them. That's all I will say so far. Um, and I've, I've already got them all logged in uh, in the podcast and YouTube and stuff, so I don't have to film any of them. So they're they're all ready to go. But just know uh, I, I wanted to give you guys a gift, uh, whether you celebrate the holidays or not. I just, you know, you guys are the best. And so I was like, you know what? 
let me just give him like a mountain of reviews all in the same day. And so uh, I'm, I'm doing it for you guys. I'm doing it for my YouTube channel. It's just it's going to be a huge spree. So I'm excited to do that for you. And uh, it, it's it's basically movies that I've caught up on that I've missed, um, you know, throughout the year. Uh, like Joel was saying, like, you know, he caught up with like Waves and Richard Jewell and all that stuff. He's trying to cram everything. That's what I was trying to do as well. So I caught up on a lot of movies. So December 23rd, look out for it. That was my week. And uh, I am uh, pleasantly uh, like excited to throw it over to Joel now. Because Joel, th- this is this is your thing, and I'm so glad that you start out the reviews now because you you get to introduce this, you get to talk about it first. This is your movie to end the saga that you've loved the most since you were a kid. Joel, tell us about Star Wars Episode Nine and your thoughts. I will do that. Gandalf. Defends Hogwarts. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Joel, we've already Guys. been over this. That franchise ended eight years ago. We need to stop this. We need to go see a therapist. <laughs> All right, folks. No, I'm kidding. This is Star Wars Episode Nine. It is the culmination of two different things, kind of, because, of course, as we know, uh, back in the 1970s and 80s, we had the what was then just a trilogy, but what ended up being the original trilogy of Episodes 4, 5, and 6 of Star Wars, um, in which uh, introduced to Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker uh, to the Force, which is that ubiquitous energy that flows through all living things, um, as we found out later, and to the great villain, uh, Darth Vader, uh, and later the Emperor. Um, And then, because of a revelation involving parentage and the fact that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father, We were treated in the late 90s and early 2000s to a prequel trilogy of uh, 1999's The Phantom Menace, 2002's Attack of the Clones, and 2005's Revenge of the Sith uh, to sort of an origin story about how Darth Vader came to be. Um, Started out as Anakin Skywalker, started out as a Jedi, and eventually fell into the dark side of the Force um, with the help of the Emperor, the future Emperor. Um, although we already saw that (laughs) it's interesting how it moved around, but now, you know, a decade after, um, after revenge of the Sith came out, there was a big sale of Lucasfilm to Disney and that freed up, um, new creative voices to take over from where George Lucas left off. And that resulted in this new sequel trilogy of movies that started with the force awakens in 2015 and continued with kind of a, uh, a barn burner a bit a bit of a barn burner in 2017 with the last Jedi, which kind of changed up a lot of, uh, a lot of the rules and, and reinvented some things about the, uh, the lore as we know it. Um, so this obviously is like, again, it's the, the event of my lifetime. Um, I was about, I think I've always said that I was four. I think I was about six when I first star, uh, watched star Wars Um, which was then, I think, still just called Star Wars. Uh, I think it was renamed shortly thereafter, or uh, reconfigured, I guess, to Episode Four: A New Hope. Um, And it kind of changed my life. I I then started watching movies more and remembering, or should I say remembering movies more. I had been watching movies for a few years already, 
um, starting with Aladdin because I saw Aladdin in theaters. But it was really Star Wars that got me, that kind of hooked me. And I was like, okay, I really like sci-fi, really like big space operas. I really like this stuff. So I want to I wanna keep doing this. And that got me also into, you know, seeing other kinds of movies. And um, it also gave me a little bit more of an edge in terms of what I like to watch at that age. So watching Star Wars is why I watched Indiana Jones, which is why I watched stuff like Gremlins and all of that. I was I had a bit more of a uh, resilience to that than some of the other kids my age. Um, wasn't as scared um, and wasn't as uh, wasn't as scarred <laughs> by it. Uh, wasn't as prone to nightmares as, as some of the other people, which is not in any way trying to be condescending. You know, everybody has their limits, but for me, yeah, my limits were basically defined by this series, and so. Um, yeah, this means a lot to me, and I enjoyed the the prequels when I saw them in theaters. Kind of shifted, you know, back and forth on my appreciation for for a few of them over the years. But this recent rewatch, I think I'm at the peak of my consideration, and I I do really like the prequels as well. I know that they're not very popular, but um, uh, but I do like those as well. And uh, and now I've been enjoying this new this new sequel trilogy, and so. We get to Rise of Skywalker, which has quite the job ahead of it, because what it has to do is it has to culminate the entire storyline of 42 years of of saga. Um, and it also has to bring to a surprise or a satisfying resolution for this this recent trilogy, which has been introducing new characters that kind of reflect the old ones. At least some of them do. Um, and, and are, and are basically defining what Star Wars means for a generation of kids my age when I first watched those movies, um, the older ones. And so there has been a lot in the, the days leading up to the release after some, you know, uh, some mixed reviews, uh, pretty negative reviews, in fact, about how well this movie does this. And... I have a feeling from something that Chase said before he, <laughs> before we recorded that maybe he's going to disagree with me on this. But I, for one, am extremely satisfied with how it ended. Um, and I'm going to get into that you know, in terms of, uh, uh, of spoiler-free discussion here, and then I'll, I'll get into more specific uh, discussion later on. Um, and it's important to do a spoiler section once again for this type of movie because um, – and I didn't even really fully know that we were doing this until I made the notes last night because this is a big movie, uh, you know, to say the least. I mean it's going to be one of the biggest movies of the year uh, financially. I don't know if it's going to be number one. It will be number two, if anything, behind Endgame. Um, but it's it's an event. It's a true event. Um, and it, there's a lot of expectation. Uh, there's a real big weight of expectation on, on a movie like this to really deliver for everybody involved. And I can under, I can understand maybe it doesn't for some, uh, for some, especially those who are as into this as I am, it might be a little jarring to see some of the plot points that come up here. Uh, it also might be jarring to see the speed at which it does that. And I'm going to get into a little bit of that and why that is a flaw. But I think that it's really satisfying in terms of how it takes 
the aftermath of The Last Jedi and twist that into the into still being a satisfying conclusion of this big plot. Because as we know, or as any, anybody who saw The Last Jedi know, um, and everybody loved The Last Jedi. It was completely, it was completely uh, unanimous. I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> it was very divisive. Uh, first Star Wars, first Star Wars movie, at least. Uh, by the end of the Last Jedi, we had had sort of a redefinition of what it means to be a hero. We had a redefinition of the Jedi. We had a redefinition of the relationship between Jedi and Sith, and the relationship between good and evil, and about and about how, in particular, as Luke Skywalker, played by Mark Hamill, realized over the course of his own journey, sometimes the two pretty much stand up right next to each other. Uh, there can be, and it actually calls back to the conversation had in Revenge of the Sith between the Emperor, played by Ian McDiarmid, and Hayden Christensen's Anakin Skywalker in this opera thing that they're watching, that um, basically there is a an egotism to the Jedi that is shared by the Sith. Maybe they're not aware of it, but... Basically, The Last Jedi lives within the notes of that conversation. And I think that what The Rise of Skywalker does is it picks up with that idea and then gives us a, a, a literal version of the outcome of that conversation. Um, or the outcome, or I should say not the outcome of the conversation, but the outcome of one's realization when when listening to that speech because i think that it made a much better point than anybody realized and in fact ryan johnson realized it because he really built on that moment in the last jedi we we had a huge paradigm shift we didn't even notice it because there was so much going on that was so satisfying um and in fact that is why yes even with this new film the last jedi does remain the best film in the new trilogy it does remain the best film uh, since Return of the Jedi, but um, but it is it is quite shocking, and uh, it's kind of it, it it was quite shocking, and so to build from that, you have this new movie, which is really really satisfying. Um, however, it I will admit that I don't think it began well. So the first scene is something that we can talk about. Uh, I always say anything within the, uh, a movie's first half hour is pretty much pretty much good to talk about. So I am including this in our spoiler-free discussion because it is important to talk about. But as the film begins, we catch up with Kylo Ren, played by Adam Driver, who is, has basically received a transmission from a thought-dead villain, and that is the, uh, the Emperor who we last saw being thrown down a big shaft in an exploding ultimate weapon. And through the dark side of the Force, he has survived. And he is in a hidden place uh, from, which he's, from where he summons uh, Kylo to him to explain that basically he wants to restart his empire and he's going to use Kylo to do that. But in order to do that, the starting point has to be for Ray, played by Daisy Ridley, to die. Um, and yes, so that's where we start. We start with the revelation that the empire, the, the emperor, is still alive, 
And then we move from there to the other players here. So Ray is training under Leia, played by the late Carrie Fisher, um, who has been kind of reconstructed in a certain way. Uh, obviously, she died, she died well before this was shot. Um, but they used some footage from The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi to reconstruct her um, and insert her into the story. She's She's training under Leia. And it's not going super well. She keeps having these bursts of anger, this attempt to find some sort of balance that just doesn't really go well, uh, particularly because Luke, uh, her old master, has died at this point uh, at the end of the last movie, or he became one with a force, I should say. He he vanished, much like Obi-Wan did uh, and Yoda did. Um, so that's not going really well. Uh, Finn, played by John Boyega, has you know completed kind of his shift from uh, from stormtrooper to a resistance fighter, and he and Poe Dameron, the cocky space pilot played by Oscar Isaac, are um, made aware of the Emperor's survival, and so they have to go on a mission to find a way to find him, and that has to do with sort of this MacGuffin. It's a little triangle thing that that they have to find that will lead to the location of a hidden planet um, that uh, the Emperor has sought refuge on. Uh, and, of course, uh, Ray goes along with them. So that's pretty much the setup of the plot. Um, it kind of mirrors, I guess, J.J. Abrams, uh, the director's usual thing, which is um, a lot of setup with a lot of MacGuffins and a lot of, uh, of journeying and puzzles to solve. He's a puzzle box filmmaker. That's been pretty clear through his Star Trek movies and uh, even his last Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens. Um, uh, and even through like something like Super 8 uh, or obviously the Lost television series. Um, so yeah, I, I think that this is super, super satisfying stuff. Uh, the ways that it uses the aftermath of the plot of The Last Jedi to explore – Ray in particular is fascinating because we see that there is, you know, by the end, this ultimate, almost ultimate source of the light side of the force. Um, and, you know, it's, it's basically directly confronting the prophecy once talked about in the prequel trilogy, uh, which a lot of people who heard it thought ultimately that it meant Anakin Skywalker. Um, I think that this movie is making an argument that it is possibly Ray. Uh, we'll get into some of that decisiveness in our spoiler discussion. But, uh, but yeah, it seems to be saying that. But I think that even more interestingly, it's seeing that she is coming to the same realization that Luke did in the last movie through the actions of this, this narrative. And that's very clear in the relationship that she shares with Kylo Ren. Uh, you know, in the last movie, they had kind of formed or had uh, formed between them um, a psychic bridge, which they are able to use to an even greater degree in this story in really interesting ways, very cinematic ways. Um and it kind of furthers this this dynamic of something that is very, very intense, almost sensual, 
uh, between these two people who really don't want to be at each other's throats. I think that there's an element of Kylo that wants to turn her to the dark side because it's his comfort zone. It's where he thinks he dis- he be- uh, belongs. And there's an element in Ray of almost kind of empathy because of the fact that, of course, in The Force Awakens, Kylo uh, killed his own father, Han Solo, uh, played by Harrison Ford. And... Yeah, so this 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 uh, dynamic, this relationship is just still fascinating to me, and I think that that's where this movie lives. I think that that's where this movie gets so much of its effectiveness, and through the performances from Ridley and Driver, particularly, are both really good here, and I think that they're building on the strengths that they showed in uh, in the earlier films. I think that this is maybe not, I don't know if this is Ridley's best. I think that her best is actually still The Force Awakens when she was kind of getting into this character. But I think that this is Driver's best work as Kylo. Um, and I will say, like, it doesn't remain one note. There, there's not a lot of dialogue for Driver to, to, to say, and I won't reveal why or, or, or what. But there is a shift, and we'll just say that. And I think that Driver's performance shifts alongside that. And I think that it's, it's just a really clever way of and it's very, very subtle work on on his part, on his part, to to acknowledge that. Um, and it becomes much sadder. He just becomes very sad. Uh, he's a, he's kind of a uh, a sulky guy in this particular instance. And it's a really fantastic performance. And I think that it's with those two that this movie succeeds. And of course, Ian McDiarmid returns as Palpatine. Um, He's not in so much of the movie that uh, that he's he's like for me he was best supporting actor territory for Revenge of the Sith. He's not in the movie as much as that, but I think that there's a way that the makeup artists and um, and the uh, the cinematographer Dan Mendel that make him up and light him in a way that is absolutely terrifying from his from his first appearance here. Um, and, and then, and you know, and, and it's just, it's great. And once again, McDiarmid is just deliciously, you know, uh, evil here. I, it, he just chews these words so slowly. It's like, it's like a huge steak and he has all night to eat it. It's just, it's a great, great piece of acting. It's here again. It's just that he's not in the movie a whole lot. I kind of wanted more of that. Um, but he does kind of uh, – he, he dominates the climax of this film, and we'll get into why that is in a little bit. But you know, there are some things that do kind of they, – they do, they do suffer. So there are, there are characters here that were given some form of focus in The Last Jedi that are, that are kind of shunted off to one side, and it was dis- disappointing. Uh, so, of course, I mentioned Poe. Uh, you know, he had kind of had to reckon with some of his recklessness in The Last Jedi, particularly on the under the orders of a commander who just didn't, you know, didn't let him off the hook. Um, now he's just reckless again, uh, and that's that's a little disappointing. Finn, you know, is he's just working with the resistance. He's pining for for Ray in a certain way, it seems, although that never really reaches any sort of resolution, and it's and it's a little disappointing. Rose Tico, the most uh, one of the most uh, divisive characters in a certain 
horrible part of the the uh, the internet, played by Kelly Marie Tran. She was so unique in the previous movie um, as this mechanic who who is much smarter than uh, anybody seems to give her credit for. Uh, her arc is basically dropped, and she's a functional character in the background. That's all very disappointing. However, I'm going to come to the film's defense for a little bit here in that regard because as we all know an untimely thing happened outside the universe of these movies and that was the death of carrie fisher um and the fact that she was playing such a different version of leia much more well not much more active but a much differently active uh I uh, got gotta love the the connection. Hold on, folks. <laughs> A poor network connection. This is this is where. Release. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> you, you cut off for like just five seconds, but go ahead. Oh, okay. I was about Sorry, to go guys. on a soapbox on why AT and T is the worst, but you stopped me just before I started that. So go ahead. Okay, so um, uh, basically, yeah. So the uh, the death of Carrie Fisher, I think, I think affected this in ways that the filmmakers were not quite. I mean, obviously not. I, I say not quite prepared. That's an understatement. They weren't prepared at all for it. I think that because of that, and because of the fact that Leia has so much involvement in this plot, truncates some of their their screen time in a way that nobody could have been prepared for. And, you know, we get we get a little bit of a mouthpiece for her through her daughter, Billy Lord, who plays one of the general from one of the um, not generals, uh, one of the lieutenants here. But but, you know, that's not that's out of their hands. It, it was it was a it was a terrible thing that happened. It was untimely. And they had to kind of rush to figure out what to do with that character that didn't, you know, completely screw up the plot. Um, and. I think that they made do with what they could. And I think that that's, you know, that's a slight, that's a slight ding in the movie's disadvantages. But I think that Abrams and, and his co-screenwriter Chris Terrio do paper that, do paper over that uh, quite well. And I think that it still, it still works as background plot, but it is background plot. The major narrative thread here is Ray. And I think that, that that works superbly well. So, I mean, that's all of that stuff. You know, obviously this movie looks great. Uh, Mendel's cinematography is gorgeous. Uh, does things with, with lighting that, um, I haven't seen in a star Wars movie, which is always nice. Um, and the visual effects are stunning. I mean, this thing's probably going to win best visual effects. Maybe that, or, uh, either that or Lion King, it's going to win. And so, yeah, I, all that works. Um, I think that it's well edited. Usual editors for uh, for Abrams, and um, and yeah. So before, I mean, you know, until we get to the um, the spoiler stuff, I guess for me, this was extremely satisfying. A, a very very satisfying. Maybe not a perfect one, and and it's certainly not in the top tier of the films, but. But it is fantastic. Now, I do want to pause before I get to Chase's review, just because I did mention something earlier, and I forgot to get to that before uh, before getting to my review. But this was within the, my within my last week, so I watched, you know, two of the original trilogy. And for twenty years, I've been saying Empire Strikes Back is my favorite. 
Empire Strikes Back is my favorite. Empire Strikes Back is my favorite. It's seen as the best. It, it is widely considered to be the best. And then, for some reason, I think I watched it maybe the, for the first time in about five years. I revisited Return of the Jedi, and I think that I had changed quite a bit. And that ended up being my my favorite after that viewing of the entire series. And I didn't anticipate that because I always had a problem with how much time they spent with the Ewoks. I felt like I felt like it dragged. And in this viewing, I did not. I, I felt like it fit perfectly within the narrative. It was paced really well. And as soon as I was able to get get my bearings with that, that's when the movie opened up for me. And it was like I was watching it for the first time. And watching it for the first time, it's basically three sequences – and they're all excellent. I mean, it's the opening when they're when they're um, escaping Jabba the Hutt, and then you get onto the uh, the moon of Endor, and then everything on the uh, the the new Death Star with uh, with the Emperor and Darth Vader and all of that. It's the best finale, I would say, in a in a Star Wars movie. And it's just it's fabulous. It's a great great film. So I just wanted to backtrack just a second to tell that story, but I am giving. The Rise of Skywalker, an A minus, and I know that that probably seems like a disgusting over exaggeration to to Mr. Lee over here, um, but you know that's that's where I am on it. I think that it is a superb piece of franchising and uh, and storytelling, and and yeah, a little a little fast. It does move through these plot points really fast. It's ten minutes shorter than the Last Jedi, maybe I think eleven minutes shorter actually. I think it could have been longer than that movie. I think it could have maybe used another 20 minutes, not of scenes, but of stretching this out just a little bit. But as is, I am very satisfied with it. It falls below the other two in this particular trilogy, just slightly below The Force Awakens, which also got an A- for me. But I think it's as, I think it's as good as The Last Jedi, which is a movie that I adore. So... Yeah, I just uh, I love this trilogy. I love the series. I really like this finale, and I'm ready for Chase to laugh and and point at me or whatever he's gonna do. So, uh, Chase, A minus for me. Take me down, sir. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not gonna take you down because here's here's my here's where I'm at with it. So if you're new to the show, if you if you've only been listening for a short amount of time. I'm not a hardcore fan. I, I, if Joel pulled out a name of a race, a character, or a creature, uh, whatever in that universe, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I wouldn't be able to tell you where it's from. Uh, I, I just, I'm not that um, into it. I'm not in the trenches with it. Like I'll rewatch the movies occasionally, but it's not the franchise that I go to. With that being said. I've enjoyed what I've watched for the most part uh, when I was a kid. I don't think I ever watched episode four, five, and six um, until I was like in high school. Maybe even not even then. I, I remember seeing it like later on in life, so who, who knows. Um, but I did you know, grow up with like Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. And, you know, I was nine... Uh, yeah, it was like nine, and then of course I got into my my teens by the time Revenge of the Sith came out. So 
I mean, I like those movies for the most part, and you know, I I grew up with them in the I I guess all correct time frame that you know George Lucas probably wanted you to watch it in, but I enjoyed watching them in theaters, and I was like, okay, cool, this is this is kind of fun. I didn't watch four, five, and six until later, and of course, um, I started this podcast before the uh, Disney deal was done with uh, Lucasfilm, and then once that hit, I was like, all right, this is. This is going to be fun because we're going to be able to talk about Star Wars films on this podcast. And uh, The Force Awakens was the first uh, Star Wars film I ever did on this podcast because uh, it came out in 2015, uh, uh, right? Yeah, 15. 2015. Yeah, yeah. Force um, Awakens? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just blanked for a second. I was like, it wasn't 2016 because um, uh, that was Rogue One. Um, but yeah, 2015, first one I reviewed. I, I thought it was... I thought it was fine. It was it was good. Like I, not fine. Uh, that's the wrong word. It was good. I, I gave it like a B. Um, I said in my review that yeah, of course, it feels like a retread of a New Hope. But I think from a business point of view, acquiring this four billion dollar, you know, yeah, franchise and everything, like that's not a bad play to do and keep it a little safe. But they still created enough world building that I was like, you know what? I'm on board for it. I want to see where they go. And of course, Joel was a part of the podcast when we did The Last Jedi. I absolutely love that one because it just, it subverted expectations. It went in directions that I never thought they would go. They killed off characters left and right. The The morality play of characters was at question. Like it just, it seemed like a more complex Star Wars film. I was like, this is different. I'm enjoying this, and it's one of my favorites now. So I was like, awesome. Let's get into The Rise of Skywalker and see what they're going to do to end this sequel trilogy, to end all nine of the movies, the Star uh, Skywalker saga. Let's find out. Um, and uh, I remember when Joel and I were, uh, when we were covering the Dallas International Film Festival, that's when they dropped the title, Um to this movie and we 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 talked oh about that's it. right yeah we watched the trailer together yeah we watched the, the, trailer the together. teaser yeah that's and right. uh we we were theorizing we're like man what does that mean and everything and so now we are finally here we're at that moment and i uh, listen i gotta be honest with you i thought the last jedi had the most discourse of any star wars film it it it, it might have that but holy crap, I've never seen a a bigger jump in a Star Wars film than this film. Like The Rise of Skywalker, I've seen people say they like they loved it. I've seen people say they like it. I've seen people say they were okay with it. I've seen people say like it's a bad movie. And then I've seen people use the A word and say it's atrocious. This thing has been going all over the board. So I was like, oh my god, what am I getting myself into? <clears throat> so Joel just told you his thoughts. He gave it an A minus. Now, obviously, Joel is at the high end of it, and you got a you got a middle point of view. You got the low end. You got maybe like a like. You got maybe like a bad. So where do I fall within this movie? Our good old friend Mark Dusick and I agree. Uh, when I read his review and uh, I saw his rating, because I, uh, uh, I saw I saw his stuff after I saw the movie, and I was trying to put together my thoughts on like what I thought about it, 
And once I saw his, his review and his rating, I was like, yeah, this is pretty much how I feel. I was like, it, I feel, uh, pun intended, lukewarm about it. Um, uh, I would like to announce now that Chase Lee has been fired from Real Me In Colon Movie Podcast. Uh, that, that's impossible because I started this. Um, <laughs> that doesn't you are matter. Not, you are not the 51% shareholder, sir. Um, yeah, I um, – Mark! I'm from, from <laughs> Mark, <social> network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm okay with it, guys. I think it's a fine movie. I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be. I am surely not in the camp of Joel over there, but I'm also not going to disagree with him. Um, and I don't know if it's an emotional disconnect from the franchise. I don't know what it was, but I just walked out of there going, it was fine. It was okay. Um but I can understand why people like Joel or other people that have been so in love with this franchise and have been following it for years, they could rate it that high. So that's why I'm not going to dog on Joel for rating it that high. I'm just not going to rate it that high. Um, so to get into my, my overall thoughts, I'm going to get with some of the positives first because, you know, uh, I really don't care for a lot of a lot of things with this movie, but I would be stupid not to acknowledge the technical aspects of this film and even most of the Star Wars films. This thing has wonderful visual effects. The one thing I've always loved about Star Wars is that they've been able to mix uh, practical and computer so seamlessly together and just create this wonderful, robust science fiction world that we all you know, know and love. And so that's why uh, even if this movie was – if it was bad in my eyes, I still wouldn't be able to rate it below like a C-. It's just how can you look at that and say it, it's just – it's a, like a one-star movie or a half-a-star movie. It's impossible. You have to look at it at all corners uh, of, of the movie. And so – when you're looking at the visual effects and you're looking at the set design and the costuming, it's just that world building and that, you know, visual aesthetic and design that doesn't take away from my grade. I'm still going to give it massive points just on that scale alone. So it's wonderful to look at. And, uh, the third, the third act battle kind of reminded me of some of the sky, warfare that rogue one had i was like all right this is some good stuff uh even though i'm not really caring for what's happening i still appreciate the the visual and technical feat that these movies always create so i will give it that uh as my main um uh you know positive here uh second thing the acting is is all around good um everyone you know slips back into their roles and they do um just fine. Uh, every, uh, everyone is there and present and doing their thing. Some of them do get shortchanged. Uh, Kelly Marie Tran, like you said, it was kind of disappointing because she had such a big role in the last movie. And this one, she had like three lines. <laughs> and so I was like, uh, okay. Um, and yes, the Carrie Fisher thing, it's unfortunate that she's passed away. And they were, there was nothing they could do about that. But she also got shortchanged. Uh, I don't know if it was the best decision to put her in there or to take her out. I, I honestly don't know how to fix it, but it, it just, 
I, I, I don't I don't know how you could do that. And, and it's really difficult to do that when uh, an actor or an actress passes away from a franchise and you're continu- continuing with a storyline. I totally get that, but I, you know, it, that that was kind of like whatever. But everyone else, though, yeah, good job. Uh, I, I agree with you that Daisy Ridley and uh, Adam Driver are probably the strongest out of the bunch. Um, Oscar Isaac and John Boyega, they you know they play their roles but they're honestly not in it that much and they don't have much to do um but Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver are the 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 core of this entire you know three episode storyline they're the ones that we focus on and they always give 110% um i even though i don't really care for this movie overall i think this is Daisy Ridley's best inter- in interpretation of ray and i don't know if it's just because she's really good at like facial reactions or or what but i don't know i just i felt like she finally found her footing in this role uh because i I liked her a lot in the force awakens and she was really great in the last jedi with like training montages and really uh learning her skill set but there was something about her you know finding out about her past or you know, uh, hey Chase. Yeah, am I still recording on my end? Yeah, you're fine. I'm good. Okay, cool. Yeah, Go yeah. Ahead. No, no. If your connection goes out, I, it's still recording. It's still good. Uh, okay. I just, I just, I basically <laughs> just keep talking and wait for you to come back. <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, sorry, guys. We have to, we have to hash this out on this show because we aren't together. So yeah, right. That's what. That's just what happens. All yeah. Right. Uh, no, I was just saying that. Uh, uh, Daisy really, really kind of found her emotional footing uh, with this one and really, you know, kind of delivered on that front. Really also selling the Force uh, powers that she has as well uh, as they are definitely elevated in this one. I thought she did a good job with that. And, of course, I think the best person uh, in all three of these movies, the newer ones, it's Adam Driver. It's always been about Kylo Ren. It's always been about his story. And... uh I've really enjoyed uh, Adam's kind of interpretation of it. It was a little goofy at first in The Force Awakens, and we because that was the first time we ever saw it, and we're like we didn't really know what to make of his like you know whiny brat attitude. But as the movies kept going, I started to really kind of connect to him more and really follow his journey because like you wanted him to to become good. You're like, please, for the love of everything that is holy. Become good, Kylo. We know you can do it, and I think that was uh, why we were rooting behind him the most. But yeah, Adam Driver and uh, uh, Days are really definitely a good job. Oh man, uh, you know when I when I saw the um, uh, Entertainment Weekly uh, magazine because I subscribed to it, I turned to the Star Wars section. Of course, they have a whole section on it. That's understandable. And I saw Carrie Russell was going to be, and I was like, all right, that's going to be cool. I can't wait for new people. She had like four lines, and she was in two scenes. And I'm like, why do we keep hiring these people to be in these franchises if they're not going to really do anything? Um, So, yeah, I thought she was a huge waste. Um, uh, Here's my thoughts on Palpatine, is that... Like, I just, I, I, I honestly don't know if I feel like it was necessary for him to be in it. 
Now, when we get into the spoiler section, I know that you're gonna the the whatever I just said just it just cancels cancels it out. But I don't know. I just I I because you and I were talking about this when we heard the laugh and we heard that Palpatine was gonna be in it, and I I think that's one of the first things you and I discussed was are they gonna try to retcon Last Jedi? Or are they going to just you know, kind of go back to the well a little bit. What are they going to do? And I don't necessarily think they retconned everything in The Last Jedi, but I think relying back on Palpatine uh, really, it just didn't work for me. And I think it was because of the reveal, because I had no connection to that, and it just didn't really, it wasn't like surprising. It wasn't like a revelation or anything. It just, it just happened in like, you know, passing by conversation and then we're just moving on with the story and then we get to the third act and I just didn't really feel like the climax of the movie was was justified with that character and it just wasn't satisfying. And so I don't know if it was because of him or if it was just written poorly or for like you said, it was maybe too fast. Like I said, I'm just really confused on how to even talk about this movie because it's just, there's a lot of things that happen and... Some of it just doesn't really work. Some of it is fine with me, but it just—it's just a lot that's crammed at you. And so, I don't know. I'm probably not making any sense, but whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, moving on from the Palpatine thing. Um, I think the one thing that I really did not uh, appreciate about this movie is that it does move too fast. It crams a lot uh, in terms of trying to conclude this new trilogy concluding the whole trilogy uh or the whole you know saga with the nine films it's a lot to process in two and a half hours and things are happening people are dying and some of them happen so quickly and we're just moving on from them that there's no emotional weight to them and so when there's certain things happening to certain characters um Maybe some of them that die or something happens to them. We're just, it happens and it moves on. It just, it just feels like it was trying to rush to this finish line um, to complete this, this saga. And so I didn't really feel like <sighs> there was a lot to kind of hold on to in terms of caring about a central thing or maybe a couple things. It was just a bunch of things that they were trying to be like, hey, look, this is that, this is that, this is that. And then the credits roll, and I was like, I'm not sure how to feel about that experience. That's why I'm kind of lukewarm on it, because I actually think the overall story, <coughs> besides some of the kind of like plot reveals, is fine. Uh, it's like you said, most of the Star Wars movies are, get this MacGuffin, go here, go there, go there, stop the, the First Order, stop the back, like... I, I, I have no issue with it because that's how most of them are kind of structured. So them going here and there and there, that that doesn't bother me. It's just more of how they handle injecting certain characters or certain story threads or connections to the older films and kind of rush that aspect. That's where I have the main issue with it. As an overall story and an overall movie, it's a fun little space adventure that I would expect a Star Wars movie to be. So that's where I'm kind of at right now. Um, but I, I would still say if you if you love The Last Jedi, 
uh, go see the movie. If you hated The Last Jedi, still go see this movie and, you know, complete the trilogy, com- you know, come up with your own thoughts and conclusions and opinions. And uh, who knows, you might be surprised. You, may, you might be on Joel's side. You might be on my side. Or you might think we're both crazy and you might hate the thing. Um, that's I, I love, you know, reading opinions like that. So, hey, maybe you guys will see something different. But that's where I'm kind of at. I'm just down the middle with it. Nothing more. Nothing less. I'm going to give uh, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, a C. So, uh, Joel, does it disturb you that Mark and I, um, especially Mark, like that? that's like your top person. Does it disturb <laughs> you that we're both on the same page with this? Well, it is, it is surprising with Mark just because he is also such a big Star Wars fan. Um, you know, Last Jedi ranked pretty highly for him, um, relatively speaking, for the series. And um, I think it was, uh, it was behind a couple of them. It was behind New Hope. Empire and Revenge, but um, but I think it was just behind those, and that was that was it. So you know, for for him to switch from that to this one, which is the only proper episode that he disliked, uh, was surprising. Um, in terms of you, not really surprising, just because you know you're a casual fan, you don't have a stake in this. In terms, I mean, I know that you want all movies to be good, but it wasn't. It wasn't super surprising, I, I, I will just say. As I was watching it and as I was seeing that it was engaging with some of the stuff that you were less interested in, and vocally so, I was like, yeah, I, I doubt that this is going to be Chase's thing. Um, I, I, just, I just somehow doubt it. Um, and so we'll, we'll get into what I think about, uh, about, a, lot of the, about a lot of the revelations here but, uh, uh, in a little bit later in the show, but yeah. That's fine though. That's fine. Everybody, everybody has their thing. For me, maybe it's disproportionately an A minus. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe rewatches will knock it down a few pegs. But I, I do greatly like it right now. All right. Well, that's it for our our spoiler free review. Um, we're gonna spend just a few minutes at the end of the show on spoiler stuff because there's some there's some stuff that happens in this movie, guys, and it's and it's pretty it's pretty crazy. If you're a Star Wars fan, if you're not. Um, then I guess it will all sound like Greek to you, but but yeah, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. So Chase, uh, I, there were just there were just like maybe two trailers that dropped, right? It was it was pretty light, couple of weeks, right? Yeah, I think A twenty four dropped something for like maybe a hot minute and then nothing else. Um, <laughs> uh, no, they did drop something though, but no, we were gone for a couple of weeks, and so a lot of stuff dropped, and so. I'm going to start with the most recent one, the heavy hitter, uh, right at the top, and we'll end with the heavy hitter. But the first one I have to talk about, because I've been dying to talk about this with you, is uh, is Tenet, the new Christopher Nolan film. Uh, you know, Christopher Nolan is the type of person, he's like J.J. Abrams, but on steroids in terms of doesn't release anything, hardly any marketing, keeps everything secret. Like, that's just how he rolls. And so... Tenant, we finally got a a sense of what the plot is, but we still don't really know. So the best way I can describe it is that it revolves around time travel and kind of uh, the afterlife and deals with a lot of time stuff uh, in terms of, you know, if you're entering in a situation and it's that situation plays out, uh, that's a timeline and 
John David Washington's character can kind of uh, see into the future and see what the end point is. I, I don't know what it fully is, but that's the best way I can describe it. But we got our first look at it, and it looks like a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, the visual effects are are big. They're uh, ambitious. They are bold and just fit the kind of science fiction angle that he's going for. It's it's you know uh, going back to his uh, Inception days. We haven't seen that in about ten years because his previous film was Dunkirk. That's a war film, um, and that has a different visual aesthetic. But this one's going back to his Inception days, and it it looks great. I mean, it looks insane. Uh, it looks chaotic, uh, but it also looks like a Christopher Nolan thing that he would do. Um, I'm excited for John David Washington and Robert Pattinson's, uh, you know, kind of on-screen chemistry together. And of course, uh, Kenneth Branagh is in it. Elizabeth Debicki, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson's in it. Michael Caine, because of course, uh, Himesh Patel. Uh, that's an interesting one. He was a uh, breakout hit from yesterday, uh, earlier this year. And I think that's it with all the big names. So uh, I I, re- I honestly don't care what this is about. If John David Washington came on screen and said, I'm going to take a poop in this uh, porta potty and that turd went into another dimension and they had to go like retrieve the turd because it had like some hidden information <laughs> in it. Like I'd be like, yeah, that's probably that's that's really cool. Chris Renola, I got you. Um, no, I. He he can literally put anything in front of me, and uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to see it day one in IMAX and as loud of a sound system as possible. I Christopher Nolan to me is just someone that I've admired ever since. Um, oh, what was the first one I saw? Because it was not Batman Begins. Because I was 15 when that came out. I want to say, I want to say I saw Memento pretty early on. And and then of course uh, Insomnia I didn't see until later, and then of course I got into the Batman and all. Prestige was is still my favorite uh, to this day, but um, yeah, I've been a huge fan of him ever since I was a kid, and so I have no idea what the heck this movie's about. But I can tell you from what I saw and the the intrigue surrounding it, I am one hundred percent in. Now, Joel, you said you watched this one, right? <laughs> Yes, I did. Uh, I can tell people – well, two things. One, okay, Nolan gets major nerd cred. Um, so one of the one of the non-big names that you didn't uh, mention – I actually don't know how to say her name to this day, but I'm just going to call her by her Harry Potter character name, <laughs> Fleur Delacour from the fourth movie, who was one of the Triwizard Tournament champions. She was from Bobaton, and, um, and she competed – for that for one of the other schools basically uh she's in this alongside robert pattinson who was cedric diggory another triwizard tournament champion so he has combined two of two of those actors for the first time i don't think any other combination of actors has been in a movie together since then so pretty pretty neat that he was able to to accomplish that the other thing is i actually published it today but i hid chase from the post on Facebook where I have figured out my list of the most anticipated films of next year. And yeah, we'll be talking, we'll be talking about that one in, in a week. Uh, y'all will hear it in a couple weeks and, uh, I, I can't wait. I mean, it was already, it was already on that list somewhere. Um, and 
I, I the trailer confirms it. I, I have no idea what the movie's about, but I don't even care. It's basically him back in sort of Inception, Dark Knight trilogy mode in terms of what audience he's trying to press and uh, an answer to almost. Um, this is a little more, you know, this is, like you said, it's not like Dunkirk. It's not, it's not like that movie at all. It's also not trying to be, it doesn't seem at least to be trying to be interstellar, which was a lot headier. Um, but it is very much in the inception kind of dark night mode. And I'm, I'm all in, I, I, I can't wait. This cast is so strange. I mean, it's, he's actually mostly using actors he has not worked with. I mean, obviously he's worked with Branna who was in Dunkirk and he's worked with Michael Caine since the beginning, beginning of time. But, um, but yeah, I, like I said, I just, I love this. I, I love this trailer. I love how mysterious it is. I love the visuals. I love the crazy shot with the car, um, which is just insane to me. And, uh, yeah, this movie's going to be, this movie's going to be a visual masterpiece if nothing else. So Nolan, I'm always excited. He always delivers. I can't wait. It was uh, I remember when the trailer dropped and someone put on Twitter because uh, Chris Nolan seems like a pretty calm dude, right? I, I think the tweet was something to the akin of, uh, well, everyone's freaking out watching the Tenant trailer and uh, you know, uh, just flipping out. Uh, he said he he can imagine Chris Nolan is just somewhere drinking tea and like uh, sipping it on like a view or something and just just looking out. And just enjoying the day, and while everyone's just freaking out about his movie, um, he just seems like a really calm dude, and he just doesn't really seem like um, uh, he gets super nerdy uh, like that. But it, it's nice to know that when you watch these trailers, you're like, "Yeah, Chris Nolan's a secret nerd, and it's awesome." Um, yeah, but Tenet cannot wait. All right, let's get through uh, some of these pretty quickly. Some of the smaller ones that uh, dropped uh, this one. It's uh, the first. Uh, uh, screening link uh invite that i got uh and joel got the email too where let's talk about come to daddy uh because i love me a good horror film right and of course when elijah Wood is uh, attached to it it gets me more excited the man has been public and saying that he loves horror films and he loves working on them uh, one of my favorite ones he did was maniac uh which was the remake uh um he he was in that he was a serial killer it was, it was fantastic so come to daddy. Uh, so he plays a, a man that gets a call that his dad is in a cabin somewhere, and he tries to reconnect, reconnect with his dad. And his dad is you know kind of creepy, kind of serial killer ish, and it's just it, it's a hunt. You know they start trying to one up each other and start trying to kill each other, and it just it looks like a blast. I can't wait. Uh, but yeah, that's the one with the Eliza Wood comes out in February. So, I will just say real fast, Elijah Wood's post Lord of the Rings career has been the weirdest thing. I've it kind of reminds seen. me of Daniel Radcliffe's, like yes, kind of just doing whatever. But even weirder because he's been doing really dark, twisted movies like for the last fifteen years. So, right, except that it wasn't the case right after that. He was in Eternal Sunshine. He had a little role in that. Uh, he he had a cameo in Spy Kids three <laughs> because of well, I guess that was technically before the end, but. Still, you know, it was around the end of the Lord of the Rings, and then he was in Sin City as the uh, the dude who ends up as only a head at one point. I think he gets eaten, and then he gets goes on this like long tangent of these weird, dark horror movies that I haven't seen personally. But he does, you know, stuff like Grand Piano. I don't know if you ever, you ever saw that, uh, co-written by Damien Chazelle. But uh, 
but that was a really good one. Yeah, it's just a weird, weird thing. And this sounds this sounds directly in line with <laughs> with that. So I'm interested well, for sure. I mean, it, ma- it makes sense to me. I went to Fantastic Fest once, and I saw Elijah Wood there, and he goes every year. He loves genre films, and so the fact that he's a part of them is is great. And I, I heard uh, Come to Daddy uh, was at Fantastic Fest last year, or no, earlier this year. Sorry, I, I keep thinking it's 2020 already, but. Um, yeah, and I heard it was a, a, a blast, so I can't wait. Uh, this next one, I, I think Joel can talk about a little bit more than me if he's seen the original, but I haven't asked him. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so this next one is a remake of Force Majeure. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, okay, so there you go. All right, so this one is called Downhill, and it is based off of uh, that film. That What was it, uh, three years ago or – uh five years ago oh my god uh yeah don't don't say that um it came out two <laughs> years ago um so no five years ago um so downhill with your Fer- old chase i'm oh. just kidding Go ahead. <laughs> uh will ferrell and julia louise dreyfus they are a married couple with a couple of kids they go to the ski lodge they want to get away and they go on a family vacation there's an avalanche that um happens around the the resort and instead of helping his family, Will Ferrell gets up and he runs away. And the avalanche doesn't go anywhere near and it just kind of washes away. And when he comes back, she's like, why didn't why did you run away? And so that kind of uh, springboards off into them having marital problems and she's not really trusting him anymore. And it's like a mix of comedy and drama and um, it looks great. I, I I'm I'm totally down for this. Uh, the casting of Will Ferrell and Julia Louise Dreyfus is pretty awesome. Uh, them as a married couple, I I could totally see working out uh, chemistry wise. It comes out Valentine's Day next year, so that will be interesting to see how it plays. Um, you know, marketing wise, it's definitely some ironic marketing, there. right? It's just uh, <laughs> strange, but the gentleman that have directed this film, uh, Nax or Nat Faxon. Uh, I always get his name mixed up cause I'm super dyslexic with his name, Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, uh, two of the screenwriters, uh, that always work with Alexander Payne. They direct this film. Great screenwriters. Right. Yeah. They're very great. And Nat is really, uh, funny. Uh, every time when I see mm-hmm. him on shows, I always laugh. Uh, they oh, also yeah. he showed up it. on like the office and, and stuff. People would recognize him. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, what, uh, a good show on Netflix. It got canceled though, but whatever it was, uh, friends, um, from college. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. He was on that. I, I, you know, I didn't even, I didn't finish that. I should have done that because I think maybe I probably contributed to, you know, right, contribute right. to like, that uh, low numbers came from a house in Plano, Texas. We're going <laughs> to ax the show. It's like, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, I liked, I liked the first few episodes and then I just got overwhelmed with stuff and didn't continue, but he was, he was good on that. Yeah, for sure. he he's he's really he's a really good actor and you yeah. know he's a really good screenwriter. I mean, he has an Oscar. Uh, yep. People yeah. forget for for the Descendants, yep. um, and, and now he's directed this with his uh, his partner. So yeah, I think it all around looks great. I'm not a huge fan of like you know foreign remakes and stuff, but I think this one looks promising. Um, Joel, just real quick, uh, did you you saw Force Majeure, right? Yes, uh, I actually have a story behind that. So, uh, but I was gonna say, you know, it looked promising. I maybe a tick lower, lower than that. I think it looks serviceable as as a Hollywoodization of this material. Um, 
I, what I really hope is that it isn't as bad as something like the upside was in you know, relative mm. to the original that that was uh, remaking, which was the untouchables. And this I think, is, I think you and I were both on the same page with that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was not very good. And, but it could have been, I, you know, both movies, both of these movies, these original movies have, have the kind of material that you could see Hollywood latching onto. They're very crowd pleasing in certain ways, very different ways, but yeah, Force Majeure, interesting. So um, back in 2014, I got a an invite through Angelica to go see Foxcatcher. And uh, – excuse me. And so um, – had a hiccup there. Um, and so I – you know, at that point, I way overprepared. And this is, by the way, weirdly enough, before Chase and I even knew each other um, – yeah, because I can't remember. I don't think that we had connected by this point. So anyway, this is November 2014, and I or October maybe, where I had gotten an invite and Force Majeure had just opened, but I had not heard of it. I, I you know, I, I mean, I well, I say that I had heard a few things. I'd heard it was good, and at this point, I way over prepared for my trips out to Dallas to see because it was the Angelica Dallas in this case, and I way over prepared. Always did. I always thought that I was, and I never stopped doing this. I always thought there was going to be way, you know, a much longer like uh, commute time out there. And so I got out there like three and a half hours before Foxcatcher was set to start. So I was like, oh, well, now I'm out here. I might as well see something, right? I mean, I might as well. So um, I saw Force Majeure, which had a perfect runtime and a perfect time to start that I could still get out and see Foxcatcher. And I was all pumped for Foxcatcher because I was a really big fan of Moneyball and Capote, and I was really excited for the new for the new Bennett Miller movies. Look really weird and crazy and and dramatic and Steve. And I was looking forward to Steve Carell. And it actually ended up that while I loved both movies, Force Majeure ended up being the better thing I saw that day, and I saw it on a whim. Um, it was at the end of that year on my top ten. I think it's since fallen off, but and in fact, I think um, yeah, I think neither of the movies is my is on my top ten, but. I loved the original and it does have this in- interesting intersection between like really, really kind of acerbic acidic comedy and a sense, a more sincere approach, but it's a very different. Well, I got, got to love the connection. Uh, so, uh, quickly back on the soapbox of AT&T, um, they're, they're terrible. Um, yes, I'm back. You can oh, hear me, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was – Joel, I'm telling you. I was just about to go on the soapbox of AT&T and how they're bad, but you stopped me <laughs> once weird. again. It's so. I think, weird. I, I think that what I need to do after – I didn't realize this was doing this, but after we get off here, what I'm going to probably do is have to like restart my internet because it wasn't doing this. So basically, folks, we had problems trying to connect before we recorded, but those were different problems than what I'm having now, which is that my internet – will just turn off for one second and then come back on. And it's really annoying, and I think that I just have to jar it into submission. But anyway, what I was saying was I think that downhill turns out – it looks like a, an Americanization of the of the material. And I think that it looks – I'm about where you are basically. I think that it looks – I think it looks fine. Certainly you know, pairing Farrell and Louis Dreyfus in a movie like this is pretty perfect casting. Um, I worry about the tonal management, though, because there's a lot to talk about here. 
And actually, one thing maybe you didn't even notice because they really kind of downplay it, but it was a major story point, is the fact that he he grabs his phone. He does pause to grab his phone before leaving the scene, and he does not pause to grab his family members. And so that basically, their marriage is already kind of suffering a little bit in the original movie, and this just causes a bunch of questions and drama to to unfold. And it's about it's basically about that how like the simplest thing can kind of chip away at, at a perfect relationship. And one of the things that I really liked about the original is there's a bunch of shots where it's just pictures being taken of them and the situation surrounding those pictures. And they try to do it in this trailer or try to sell it that the situation surrounding those pictures gets a little bit more frantic and, and worrisome as they go on. And so anyway, it's just, it's a really, really good movie. I hope that the, uh, the, that the remake does well. Uh, this is one that we're reviewing, by the way. This is kind of the big release that we would talk about that week. So I had us do that. Um, Chase definitely try to try to catch up with that one because uh, it's fantastic. If you don't, I mean that's fine. We we constantly have situations where I'm the guy who's seen the original and you're not, <laughs> so it's fine. We we do fine with those, but definitely just out of interest. Definitely try to catch up with that because it's it's pretty fantastic. So, yeah, that's my thoughts about downhill. Yeah, uh, I I think like I said, the most confusing thing is that it's coming out. I think the same weekend as Birds of Prey, and like I think there's another movie as well going up against those two. And I'm like, it's the it's the week after Birds of Prey oh, is the seventh. Yeah, oh, downhill. Okay, okay. Downhill is is uh, the 14th, and it's opening against I think the photograph. Um, which is an interesting thing because that's another romantic drama kind of thing. Um, tra- uh, Fantasy Island, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, so kind of a packed weekend. <laughs> well, what, what a weird uh, Valentine's Day-like kind of uh, uh, timeline. Hey, honey, do you want to go see uh, the murder uh Fantasy Island, the, the cute little Sonic the Hedgehog, or uh, uh, downhill where someone neglects his family? It's just all cute and fun. You know, uh, it's good stuff. Um, Yeah, so... A uh, couple more I want to I kind of shoot through here. Uh, one of these, let me uh, pull it up here. This one comes from, I think it was Focus Features. I saw it today. It was called Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. It's about a, te- a group of teenage girls um, that try to seek out medical help after an unintended pregnancy. It looks like a really great uh, kind of coming-of-age tale, really kind of getting a sense of the world beyond their, uh, you know, community that they grew up in. They're kind of on their own for the first time. And so it looks like a really kind of sweet little drama. So I have really nothing more to say. Uh, the next one, uh, uh, well, I'm going to do this one first and I'll get into this one. This one is called uh, St. Maud. This one comes from A24. And it seems like A24 is in the ritual uh, movie game because this one also looks like a bunch of witches and witchcraft and uh, I really don't know what's going on but it follows a nurse who becomes dangerously obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient um, yeah if you watch the trailer it kind of does I mean I didn't really get a sense of that it was just you know it looks more hey like this is the same uh, company that put their name on like hereditary and midsommar it's going to be weird. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be graphic. I mean, that's kind of my thing. So uh, there you go. Another kind of witchcrafty movie from A24 coming out next year. 
This one, I had no idea even existed. Now, I'm sure Joel and I maybe have talked about it in passing on this show with like the news or just something. But I, I guess I forgot about it because this one, uh, the woman in the window came out of nowhere so it comes out in may of next year and it stars amy adams gary oldman julianne moore jennifer jason lee anthony mackie wyatt russell brian tyree henry the list goes on it is a crazy cast so this one is about a, a an agoraphobic an agoraphobic woman uh, living alone in new york and she begins spying on her new neighbors only to witness a disturbing act of violence so like a modern version of rear window um but this one it seems like from the trailer because i don't know if they give away a lot i really can't tell but it seems like she interacts with the people that's across the street pretty early on and so once the investigation kind of hits uh from gary oldman's character uh uh, amy adams starts to realize that everyone's kind of connected and something is terribly wrong I am a sucker for uh, big, twisty movies like that where, like, you know from the moment you see the poster, the title, and the trailer, there's going to be a a huge twist at the end. It may not make any sense, but who cares? I'm all for it. Throw it at me, and if it works, it works. But I love those types of movies where uh, you know from the moment it starts, uh, there's going to be something twisty that happens. And... From the way it plays out, it plays out like a a murder, you know, kind of mystery thriller. And uh, I, I like those types. And, you know, Amy Adams being in one of these with this type of cast, I mean, it sounds sounds fun. Uh, and it comes from Fox. So this is one of their uh, movies that they acquired during the acquisition. And I guess they're just going to roll ahead and release it. So there you go. Yeah, and apparently it was one that Disney was not fond of when they saw the cut that was originally oh, i'm sure it's very yes. adult <laughs> i'm sure right. they're like uh no thank Ooh. you uh, this, this is has a- r rating this this to me has r rating all over it oh yes i, I, have, a, yes. I have a feeling it's going to be r and um which is fine. i didn't see that i didn't totally see the trailer that. i didn't see the trailer just from the descriptions of the trailer that i've seen and all of that so, yeah it's, i i feel like it's probably going to be r yeah i i have a feeling that disney is very hesitant on like sexual stuff or nudity because if you look at like Stuber, that was radar. That was technically under the Disney Fox brand, and it had some you know violence and language in it. But like you know they'll release stuff like that or like Ready or Not under their their Searchlight, um, kind of little sister company. So I mean they they do it, but I'm just wondering if they saw the cut of this and was not okay with it. It's got to be like super sexualized or something that was just like, oh, that's a little too much even for us. So who knows, but uh, I, I love those types of movies, um, you know, big twisty thrillers. So give it to me. I'm all for it. Um, yeah, so the next one is uh, a one that kind of came – another one that came out of nowhere. Uh, stars Carrie Mulligan. It's called Promising Young Woman. And whoever the casting director is for this movie, they are a legend right off the bat. Uh, and I'll tell you why in just a second. This movie is about a young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past, seeks out revenge against men who cross her path. So uh, in the trailer, she was sexually assaulted slash raped. And so she's on a mission now to, 
you know, lure kind of guys from bars and, you know, ones that are like really aggressive for uh, towards her. She acts drunk. And when she gets them back to uh, their place, then she doesn't really full on like hurt them. Like physically, she does it through like she does it like through verbal intimidation and like emotional intimidation. It's it's interesting, uh, uh, an interesting take on this. But that's kind of like what I got from it. And also, she she does she she might harm them a little bit, but it's not like uh, to the gr- degree that you're thinking. And so uh, that that's what makes this one stand out. So get this that, that whoever the casting director is, for the love of everything that is holy, give this person a raise, give them a promotion, whatever, because they have seen every single TV show under the sun, and they've gotten someone from a TV show. So here's the cast. So Carrie Mulligan is the main person. Bo Burnham is in it. Laverne Cox, Clancy Brown, Jennifer Coolidge, Christopher Mintz Plaza, uh, Molly Shannon, uh, uh, Allison Brie, Adam Brody, Connie Britton, Max Greenfield. I mean, it, it's pretty much like everyone from every single television show wow. you've seen in the past five years. Um, it's that's insane. It's wild. Like how they get all these people. Um, but yeah, so when you watch the trailer and you see all these, you know, guys start coming up, it's someone that you recognize and you're like, how did they get this person? How did they get that person? Um, but I'm so happy that Carrie Mulligan is getting a lead role and like a lead movie after, uh, I mean, she does these types of movies, um, but it, they're so far and few in between. I want her to be, you know, regular at that and, uh, coming out with movies more often. Yeah, the last one was Wildlife, right? I think was right. Wildlife uh, last year, which was a while ago. <laughs> so, it, it, yeah. it seems like it was five years ago, but <laughs> right because yeah. uh, I, I, I've been blown away with her ever since I, I've seen you know movies like Shame and, and Education. She's just so good, and it makes me so angry that you know she hasn't like blown up yet. And I'm hoping with genre films like this. I'm hoping it kind of just like, you know, kind of throws her over the edge. So, uh, Promising Young Woman looks very promising, um, especially with that cast. Good Lord. All right. So, the uh, next one, uh, before I get into the two big ones that we missed over the two-week break, In the Heights uh, from Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, this is based on his uh, play that he did uh, that was before Hamilton. So, this was kind of like the first first big thing he did and then Hamilton blew up and now he is where he is. But, um, in the Heights is a feature version of the Broadway musical in which a bodega owner has mixed feelings about closing his store and retiring to the Dominic Republic after inheriting his grandmother's fortune. I, um, I'm not a big musical fan. I'm really not. Um, I, I try and I will, you know, I'll watch some of them and some of them I might, you know, gravitate towards or, you know, I might be like, oh, that one was that one was fine or oh, I like that one. But just for the most part, it's just not a genre I I gravitate towards and nothing against it. It's just like if you like them, you like them. That's cool. Uh, but for me, it's just not something I go to. I got to tell you, I kind of love this trailer. Um, it deals with a lot of social issues that we 
are dealing with today with, you know, like immigration and stuff. And it's very timely. And, of course, the musical aspect just, you know, it makes it feel hopeful. It makes it feel alive and vibrant. And I don't know, there was just something really kind of energetic about it, kind of poetic about it that makes you want to kind of stand up and dance with all the, you know, song numbers that play throughout the trailer. The the singing and the songs also sound really great, too. So this might be the first one where, like, I look forward to. And it comes out uh, next year in the, the summertime. So I'm hoping it's a big, you know, kind of musical hit that's going to strike through all the blockbusters. Yeah, I, I got to admit, first musical in a while that I can comfortably say that I'm looking forward to. Maybe that in the West Side Story, but um, this one kind of came out of nowhere, and I was like, all right, Lin-Manuel, I see what you're doing over there. I got you. Uh, but yes, it looks uh, it looks really great. So uh, the two big ones I want to talk about, um, just real quick here, and then we'll get into some of the new stuff. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, dropped its first trailer while uh, we were gone over the two-week break. And this one is, of course, in the Ghostbuster franchise. Uh, the plot goes as follows. When a single mom and her two kids arrive in a small town, they begin to discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. Um, so in this trailer, we get none of the original people, none from the uh, 2016 version. It's all new. Uh, Finn Wolfhard is in this. Carrie Coon, Paul Rudd, Bill Murray. Well, Bill Murray does pop up. And I think the others do too, but we don't see them in the trailers because uh, they primarily primarily focus on the kids. Ernie Hudson isn't. Yeah, okay, so they are in it. Um, so yeah, it, I'm assuming you this liar. One, hey, calm down over there. So uh, I, I'm assuming uh, this happens after, of course, Ghostbusters two, kind of neglecting the 2016 version, kind of starting over. Um. It looks fine. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm not like a huge Ghostbusters fan. And I was even kind to the 2016 version. I also said it was just fine. It wasn't atrocious or anything. It was just like whatever. I'm, I am not a Ghostbusters fan, and I was not kind. <laughs> I, know, I know you weren't. I, I know you weren't. Uh, yeah, uh, I. this one looks fine. It, it looks. It does look different, and it feels different, and I appreciate that. And I'm glad you can put people and they're like Paul Rudd who you know Paul Rudd you know he seems like the type of guy that would tell his agent or his manager like I'm only going to pick good projects or you know I'm going to be very selective uh even as big as he is now being a part of like the the Marvel movies you know he he's a hot commodity now so if you know the producers of this movie reached out to him and he read the script or whatever, and he wanted to be a part of this, it seems like to me that that would give me a little bit more confidence in it, um, into liking it uh, just just from his involvement alone. Uh, I'm hoping Finn Wolfhard can ditch whatever Russian accent he has and uh, uh, deliver in this movie. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, the goldfinch will always haunt him. Um, another interesting aspect about it is uh, Jason Reitman is directing it. Now, of course, that is Ivan Reitman's son. I'm not really a huge fan of that decision, uh, not because of his talent, just because I'm just not a big fan of nepotism. But, you know, Jason has 
directed some of my favorite movies uh definitely in the past you know uh 10, 10 to 15 years with like up in the air thank you for smoking juno is really great um totally uh you know young adult like he's made some really good stuff and so you know maybe he can inject some life into this uh franchise and maybe make it a, appear fresh and new who knows but um the trailer uh, you know it's got promising aspects about it so that's that's all i gotta say uh and then the last trailer that dropped uh, over our two-week break um i've been really curious about this one because you know justice league didn't do that well we had aquaman which you know i was kind of like whatever on but it made a billion dollars so it's doing really well joker's made a billion now i know it's not a part of it but it, it just seems like dc has found their footing uh joel and i both love shazam even though it didn't do that well but who cares because it's getting a sequel now uh black adam's coming and of course birds of prey like dc f- seems like they're they're hitting their stride so when wonder woman 1984 was announced uh i was like okay i actually like the first one uh so let, let's see what they do with it I love this trailer. I can't wait for it. Uh, let me click on this real fast. It comes out in June. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we won't have to wait long for it. That's only six months away. I believe but... this, the same release weekend as the first one because it's, I think, the first Friday. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. So, it, it it's, uh, yeah, coming around, coming out around the same time. And uh, it's going to come out a month after Black Widow. So, we're going to get two... Uh, I I believe two great ones back to back, um, but yeah, we, uh, this one is in 1984, uh, obviously, so it's got an 80s aesthetic to it. Uh, Trevor is back, uh, good old uh, Chris Pine. Um, he's walking around, and of course uh, Pedro Pascal is in it, and Kristen Wiig. They're kind of the team up bad guys, uh, not working together, but they're going to be two separate ones. They're going to you know do their thing, but I like it. It's a really great trailer that just continues that style of what we got in the first one. Patty Jenkins is re- uh, returning to direct again. And so I, I have confidence in it. And, you know, this trailer uh, tells me that this is going to be uh, another successful one out of the DC canon. So uh, I- I'm looking forward to it. Now, Joel, you said you saw this one, right? Yes. I, because I'm just fascinated by all of the women led, uh, superhero projects and of course this is patty jenkins and yeah i'm with you this looks awesome um it's just a i mean even if the movie is really bad it can have this great trailer to call its own because it's just it's a fantastically edited and put together trailer i I actually Uh, recall liking the first woman wonder woman trailer right 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 yeah exactly that was a striking piece of advertising where it was like okay like this seems like they're it's serious business for DC. Yeah, exactly. And it seems like they've got the right, you know, command of the, uh, the production design of the period and all of that. It's yeah, it's fantastically well put together and, um, yeah, I can't wait. It looks like a ride and you're right about this and, and black widow coming out right beside each other. I mean, that's great. That's great. Uh, kind of, uh, timing there. So as soon as black widow has its way with the, uh, the box office, this one can, 
and uh, I have a feeling that I have a feeling they're gonna maybe we're gonna be seeing kind of similar numbers for those, um, if not the same, like relative to the studio, you know. Um, right. We're gonna see we're gonna see really good numbers for Wonder Woman for DC. We're gonna see really good numbers for Black Widow for Marvel. They're gonna be different, but they're gonna be kind of they're gonna mean the same thing for um, for Marvel and DC. That's what I that's what I that's what I think is gonna happen. Yeah, because they're, they're working uh, on totally two different spectrums. I mean, you have Wonder Woman that is coming off of a really successful first one mm-hmm. that a lot of people enjoy. The thing with Black Widow is as much as you and I are looking forward to it. When I was sitting in uh, Star Wars last night, the mm-hmm. of course, the trailer played in front of it because Disney. Um, <laughs> right. And there was a kid next to me that after the Black Widow trailer was done, like he was super excited for it. But everyone else in my audience was just crickets. And I wonder huh. if it's because it, people know that like she's gone and like that's, this that's is going to work. In, that's going to work into it some way. I mean, I definitely right. think Eternals is probably going to be the bigger hit next year. Probably, yeah. Um, because it's going to be a new thing. And as Marvel keeps, you know, um, proving to us, uh, especially because next year seems to be sort of a 2014 type year for them where guardians of the galaxy was the highest grossing movie of the year. I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it's certainly going, I think it's going to be the bigger hit of the two. Um, but you know, whereas I think wonder Woman's going to probably make more than birds of prey. Um, so it's going to well, be kind of the opposite. Well, but, that's also going to be limited of, for for rating purposes too, because Birds of Prey has been officially rated be R, R yeah. so that will uh, that will actually, which is funny because the first Suicide Squad was PG thirteen, so you're going to isolate a lot of those people that love that movie. Of course, that was working against the original vision. That was going to be right. R rated from the beginning, and then they changed it up, and then they didn't realize what they had on their hands and all of that. Yeah, so uh, you know, <laughs> studio. Uh, um, uh, interference and all of that. This will have. I, I think that both of the movies that DC have coming next year will have less of that. Um, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out for sure. And I just think that this this trailer is is phenomenal. So, all right. Well, uh, those were all the trailers, I guess. Right. Those were all the trailers. Okay. So we just have a couple of bits of news. I'm going to rush through these because we've been going along and we've had problems connecting and all of that. But uh, while we were gone, we did have the Golden Globe nominations uh, announced, and these kind of caused a bit of a stir because of the fact that one, more than usual, it seems they were really kind of predictable and and banal. Like the, it, it was everything that you would imagine with only a couple of exceptions. Um, but of course, for Best Motion Picture Drama, you had 1917, The Irishman, Joker, Marriage Story, and The Two Popes. All of that was expected if you know the HFPA. Um, same thing with musical or comedy. You had Dolomite Is My Name, Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Rocket Man. Um, and so obviously, I mean, you know, we can talk about the quality of these picks. I certainly think that really, you know, this is this is my opinion. The only one that really doesn't fit is Joker in, in uh, motion picture drama because, you know, <laughs> whatever. But um, – then you look closer a little bit and you find that best director, there's a lot of gaps. So we have Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Now, the reason the Parasite is not mentioned in drama or comedy, I don't know what it would have um, it would have gone for, but 
is because actually foreign features are only eligible in the foreign language category. So Parasite shows up in director, but it shows up in foreign language film. Um, alongside Les Miserables, Pain and Glory, Parasite. Um, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm talking about Parasite. The Farewell and uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, and so that's a really interesting category. But again, completely predictable, exactly what you expect from the HFPA if you know them. Um, but in director, though, you had Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. You had Sam Mendes for 1917, Todd Phillips for Joker, Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, and then Quentin Tarantino, of course, for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And, you know, as people pointed out, where are the women? Uh, where are the women in this category? And I think that it's not as simple as saying simply, oh, well, there were a lot of great movies and none of the women-directed movies ranked that high, except for the fact that, and I'm going to just say this, and in fact, this is kind of my farewell on this podcast to even talking about the Golden Globes. Um, I don't know if, Chase, do you do Golden Globe? You don't do Golden Globe live live streams. I forgot. But – or do you? I can't remember. I, I, I used to, but I probably won't. <laughs> right. They are a joke, guys, and there's a, they're a bad joke. Basically, here's the deal with, with the HFPA. They don't watch about 40% of the movies that they nominate. They're basically treated to dinners and then they nominate movies in the categories that are being, you know, uh, put up for, for nominations. But they, they probably haven't even seen Joker. I don't know. But the thing is that they don't hold screenings. They don't send out screeners. They're not even critics. They're not really press. They're just – or they're press, but they're not really industry people. They're just press people. And they're press people from France mostly. Um who who don't see these movies and then they hold a big gala it means nothing for the oscars these mean nothing but if they are going to award stuff then they need to reflect the year and that's clearly they haven't done that because you know they've shunted off the farewell into that into that um the the uh foreign language category they you know they nominated aquafina but they didn't really do any sort of anything else to suggest that they really saw the, the, the greatest of the movies this year and awarded that. And it just, it just kind of shows up. I mean, it's all the typical nominees. Um, you know, you, you had like Christian Bale show up in best actor in a motion picture drama. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen at the Oscars. It could, but you know, best best actor in the com in a motion picture musical or comedy. You know, Daniel Craig in, in Knives Out, fun performance. Eh, maybe not worthy of that. Uh, Roman Griffin Davis was a fun little. That was one of the unexpected treats for Jojo Rabbit, main kid. Um, and then you had you know Leo and and Taron Egerton for Rocket Man, which is a really good one. Eddie Murphy for Dolomite. Obviously, there's some good nominees in here, but I'm just gonna say that basically. They kind of accidentally happen into good stuff. Um, overall, it's just a bunch of really, really typical nominees. I have a feeling that the best actress in a motion picture drama category is basically what is going to be the Oscar category because you had Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Charlize Theron for 
Bombshell and Renee Zellweger for Judy. That's that's going to be the Oscars. So who did they put in Best Actress uh, in a musical or comedy? I mean, they had Aquafina, like I mentioned, for The Farewell. They had Ana de Armas in, uh, in Knives Out. Definitely a worthy nomination. They had Kate Blanchett for Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Uh, Beanie Feldstein and Booksmart, Emma Thompson in Late Night. None of these people are going to show up anywhere else. And I feel like basically they just kind of settled for what they knew that they needed to nominate. And so it's just a really boring, boring, uh, boring list. Uh, I guess elsewhere you had, you know, no surprises in the screenplay category. It had Marriage Story, Parasite, Two Popes, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and The Irishman. I have a feeling that Once Upon a Time is going to do really well across the board. And that's pretty much the end of that story. Um, and then I don't, I don't want to get into the TV stuff, but I guess the supporting roles again, kind of typical, you had Annette Benning for the report. She's good. Um, Margot Robbie for bombshell is the one that they gave her for, uh, that one for, but Kathy Bates and Richard Jewell, not good. Um, Laura Dern's going to take this one, I think. And then again, same, same deal with best actress in a drama. I have a feeling the supporting categories are what we're going to see potentially at the uh, at the Oscars, unless somebody else uh, slips in. But Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, um, Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes, you know, basically being nominated alongside Price, uh, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci in The Irishman, and Brad Pitt, who's going to win. You know, it's just it's just your typical typical slate. Not very exciting, but it is a bit of uh, of Oscar news or awards news, awards season news. So I figured I'd mention it. Chase, do you have any thoughts, or are, are you as pretty much bored by these as I am? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty. I, I don't put any stake in Golden right. Globe anything. I mean, yeah. it's like what you said with like Christian Bale. It's like we both liked him in that movie. He ain't gonna get nominated. I know that Fox right. is like pushing for both of them, and I have a feeling that uh, since they don't watch the movies, they just go, "Oh, Ford v Ferrari." Ferrari is uh, made by uh, a European, uh, so we're the foreign press. That's got to be a good movie, right? Yeah, I think it's a good movie. It's got to be a good movie. It's just like, did you even watch it? It's like, it, it's right. wild, man. All right, so the bigger bit of news, something that we can discuss a little bit more, is um, is this is kind of a first. I don't know if I've ever seen them do this to this degree before, uh, at least not all at once. So. They announced um, a couple days before this happened that they were going to be giving us a bunch of shortlists for nomin- for for categories. Um, and so basically, they gave us. A, I'm not going to talk about the short subject stuff, but I'm going to talk quickly about some of the uh, the shortlists for the for the bigger um, categories. So there were a number of them. So of course, you know, you have documentary feature, and they picked from apparently 159 movies. In this particular category, I didn't even know 159 documentaries opened this year, but there you go. Yeah, the, the typical nominees uh, or the typical ones that are probably going to be nominated. American Factory, Apollo 11, Forsama, Honeyland, One Child Nation. But you had some surprises in here. Um, one that Chase is familiar with, Aquarella, was was mentioned. The Biggest Little Farm, uh, The Great Hack, which I saw on um, Netflix was not a big fan of um, that got in here. Knock down the house, another Netflix one. Uh, here's one that we saw uh, at the um, another one that we saw at Diff because we saw American Factory there. But Midnight Family about the uh, the ambulance, the family of ambulances uh, 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 at night. Um, 
and Maiden also really good documentary about the the voyage around the world. Um, but yeah, I have a feeling that uh, For Sama is going probably going to take this. Uh, I just caught up with that one as well. That was one I forgot to mention. But um, yeah, heartbreaking stuff. Uh, then you had international feature film. Um, there were some surprises here. Uh, but you have the typical ones, obviously Parasites in this, Pain and Glory, uh, Les Miserables, um, possibly Honeyland in this as well. I'm thinking Atlantics as well are probably going to be the nominees. But also you have some movies that are going to be shunted off to 2020 for us in the U.S., uh, including Beanpole from Russia. Um, uh, what was the other one? Oh, Les Miserables from France is going to be a January movie. The Painted Bird um, which is, which I've heard really good things about from the, Czech, from the Czech Republic. And, uh, yeah, so really good category there. Obviously Parasite's going to win. Um, nothing's more clear than that. Makeup and hairstyling. Uh, this is the first time I think, unless they did this last year and I just forgot that they're going to have five in the category. So you had, uh, in this short list, you had a lot of really, um, clear nominees. So there's some, you know, Period pieces like uh, Downton Abbey, Judy, Little Women. Um, I guess you could count Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then you got some of the more like uh, entertainment-esque stuff where you have Bombshell, which is recreating some Fox News people. Dolomite is my name, which is a lot of uh, has a lot of fun uh, with its work. Rocket Man obviously is is taking the big you know kind of the big. Um, flamboyant uh, costumes for Elton John very seriously and and some of the uh, the get-ups that he has and um, or no I'm sorry this is makeup and hairstyling uh, okay I guess that works in terms of recreating um, Elton John not entirely sure why that's in here but anyway um, uh, man I think I was talking to this about this in terms of costumes but but yeah, I guess these make, make these make sense as well. Uh, but you also have like Maleficent and Joker in 1917. So yeah, those make those make sense. I'm sorry, so folks, I'm rambling here, trying to get through this just so that we can get to some of the some of this last um, uh, spoiler stuff. Visual effects, nothing interesting here except for the fact that the aeronauts missed, which I thought would make it into the the short list at least. Uh, meanwhile, cats made it. So after this week of reviews, that's, I guess, fairly, fairly, uh, surprising. Um, and then, uh, Terminator Dark Fate, something I didn't expect to make it into the shortlist made it, uh, but it's impressive work. Gemini Man, I know that you're really happy about that, Chase, uh, making it in, um, and obviously stuff like Star Wars and Avengers and Captain Marvel and the Lion King. The Irishman made it in for the de-aging stuff, which I thought was really impressive, um, I guess that's really it. Uh, obviously, like, uh, Song is going to be interesting to watch. Um, I'm not going to go into that one, though. And Score. Score was interesting because there were some, there were some nominees that, or potential nominees I didn't foresee. So, like, The Farewell made it. Really good score. I just didn't expect to see it in here. The King on Netflix, that made it. I didn't expect to see it in here. Motherless Brooklyn, didn't expect that. But really good uh, selection all around. Stuff like Avengers and Star Wars and Frozen 2 that isn't original, so to speak, because it's been used before, but it is original to the series. 
that they belong in. Um, but I think that this is 1917's award to lose personally. So yeah, just a lot of really interesting stuff, uh, here, you know, here and there in the, uh, in the long lists. And that's all I'm going to do with the news guys. I'm sorry if it was rambling. I was totally off my ball there, uh, off, off my game, off my ball. Uh, <laughs> again, I'm kind of losing steam here, but I've That's never basically done this before, it. but I, I think I'm going to do it in the middle of the podcast. Joel, go to sleep. It seems, it seems <laughs> like you need some rest. Yeah, yes. I, guys, again, I'm a retail worker in December. I, this is like there's a lot of times where I just suddenly dissociate in the middle of whatever I'm doing, and it and it doesn't really work out. So, Chase, do you have any thoughts about these long lists or short lists, whatever I'm trying to call them? Uh, do you think that they're going to you know, end up being really interesting uh, – uh, races to watch. Oh yeah, I, you know, with uh, especially with what you and I were talking about before we recorded, is that our top tens are very strong, and if they can just be, you know, dispersed out to all these awards and stuff, it's going to be really hard to pick. And so, yeah, I'm really excited for the award season, and probably uh, looking forward to you know kicking your butt this year uh, and getting more uh, picks right. <laughs> well. You probably will. I think you did last year. Pretty sure. Barely. Or maybe it was the, I think it was the year ago. Uh, the year before that, actually. It was the year that I was there. Um, was the one that I uh, that I really paid attention to So in terms of our picks, which one got uh, which right. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's it, folks. I'm going to try to uh, try to get through this next little section uh, without much – without many problems. Of course, I almost said much problems. So – We'll see what happens. All right, this is our small spoiler spe- uh, spoiler section. I won't go too much into this, but we will talk about some spoilers for Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. So if you are still listening and you have not seen Star Wars, this is the time to click away. We will see you next week. Um, our next episode, we're recording three in one day, but our next episode is going to be about Little Women, the new adaptation of the Louisa May Alcott novel which we saw literally a month ago, a month ago tonight, uh, as of this recording, was when we saw that movie. And uh, can't wait to talk about it. Uh, it's going to be it's gonna be a really great uh, episode. So, um, And then beyond that, of course, sometime in the next week, over the course of the next week, we'll, we'll also have a big, giant, freaking uh, top ten podcast uh, with special guests Mark Dusick and Clint Worthington. And then Chase and I are also recording – a small uh, list of our top five most anticipated films of 2020. So that's going to be fun as well. Like I said, uh, I've already figured out my list. And um, and I released a full top ten today on Facebook, but hid Chase from the post. So I've, I've got it all figured out. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's going to be our next few episodes. If you are still with us, click away. You don't want to know what happens in Star Wars. Click away if you don't care. I guess you know, or you've seen it already. Then, uh, then keep listening because we're gonna we're gonna give everything away now. So, um, I guess we'll go ahead and do the outro, right? Uh, might as well. So I'll just tell people you can find my writing at joelonfilm.com. I've got a review coming tomorrow for Star Wars Episode Nine. Keep an eye out for that. A written one. It's pretty long. It's almost a thousand words. So had a lot to say on paper about this, and. Um, you can also find my ramblings, like I'm doing right now, on uh, Twitter at real at real Joel Copling. That's R E E L J O E L C O P L I N G. 
You can also follow my daily progress watching movies on Letterboxd if you search my name. And uh, that's it. What about you, Chase? Yeah, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Real Chase Lee. And, of course, follow the podcast on Twitter at Real Me and Podcast. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Just support the show, whether you're listening to on CastBox, uh, Spotify, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, wherever, uh, Apple. Um, please uh, let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. We would really appreciate that. But, yeah, that's uh, pretty much it for the plugs. All right, guys. Like I said, leave. Click away. Stop. We are talking about spoilers for Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Um, okay. So some some pretty crazy stuff happens. Now, we've already kind of hinted that we – you know whether or not we like or dislike some of these events that, that occur, some of these revelations that, that are, uh, well, revealed. But I'm going to get into a little bit of specifics here, and it's pretty crazy. So the chief thing, of course, is the fact that, of course, Palpatine returns seemingly from the dead, and the explanation that we get is – Actually, the same explanation that he gives Anakin in that scene that I mentioned in Revenge of the Sith. Um, he literally quotes the line <laughs> just over again. And you get uh, another example of that later on in the movie. But um, where he says that the uh, the dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities that some would consider to be unnatural. That is a line from Revenge of the Sith. He repeats it here at the beginning of the movie uh, in his encounter with um, – uh, with Kylo Ren, and basically that's all we get, the fact that he somehow resurrected himself through this dark magic of the Force. And um, so by the end, we realize that his entire plan hinges on Rey staying alive. And the reason, as we learn, is because Rey is a Palpatine. Rey is the daughter of... Palpatine's daughter, I believe, and who were killed on his orders when they tried to flee. And he tried to bring Rey to him, but they hid her and she went off in hiding and, you know, that's where her story picks up. And so she becomes a scavenger and then, you know, enter uh, The Force Awakens. So that was the big... The big, big thing that happened. But during the climax, we also have a couple of other things uh, to to juggle. So Leia dies. Um, she dies, and they give they basically give Carrie Fisher a funeral in the movie, in a way. And um, at that point, she returns a bit of peace, sort of, or peace of mind, I guess, to Kylo Ren. Uh, during a lightsaber duel between himself and Rey, during this really well-staged, crazy lightsaber duel set atop a, a, a kind of a um, uh, a rocking back and forth ship in the middle of a big, uh, I I don't know if it was it a storm. No, I think it was just waves crashing over the ship, um, and they're kind of caught in it, and they're they're also fighting, and it's great great bit of choreography on on both of their parts. Because you can kind of see some of the um, the raw energy that Palpatine had in a scene in Revenge of the Sith when he downs or he takes down like three Jedi at once when uh, Mace Windu comes to confront him. Great scene. He literally just immediately kills three Jedi um, despite the fact that they're all very talented. 
And um, you can see some of that here too in this in this scene between Ray and Kylo Ren, where there's just this raw energy that she can't quite control, but she has this this innate ability to be able to block and parry moves that Kylo Ren is really laying on her. And in the middle of all of this, she's able to get the upper hand briefly and stab him. When Leia uh, returns that bit of peace, she uses the last of her life energy and she, and she dies. That's when Rey has developed healing powers uh, through this force power. Now, that was something that was hinted at in the prequel trilogy uh, in the in that same scene, it's the key scene in the entire series, uh, when uh, Palpatine tells Anakin about the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise and Plagueis's um, apprentice, who is very strongly uh, kind of implied to be him, uh, who learned to manipulate the midichlorians to create life. Uh, that's what happens here, and Rey is able to heal Kylo, and that combined with a vision of his father, uh, Han Solo, allows him to return to the good side, and he fights as Ben Solo for the first time at the end of this movie. Um, and it's kind of a a full-on arc. I mean, we, we move sort of in reverse of Anakin from the depths of the darkness of this, this side of the Force to fighting for the light side. And... Um, yeah, so this is all very shocking, but it also ends in Kylo Ren's death. Um, there's a brief moment when it seems that Rey is going to die when she uses all of her power, spurred on by Jedi of the past, to um, deflect Palpatine's attack on the outside forces uh, that have amassed and are fighting back against his own. And she dies briefly until he uses all of his life force to bring her back to life. Um, it's kind of a Romeo and Juliet setup, almost. And I felt like this was a really satisfying closer because of the fact that it was basically bringing everything full circle. Um, you also have the end scene where she goes back to Luke's moisture farm on Tatooine and buries the lightsabers that um, uh, Leia and Luke used in a bit of training that we see in a, uh, in a flashback that it's kind of alternative, uh, not alternative history, but extra history that we never really knew about from after the days of return of the Jedi. And um, yeah, she does that. She claims Skywalker as her family name instead of Palpatine because she's rejected all of that. And um, which again is kind of in reverse of Anakin. She ended up being stronger than Anakin in that, in that respect. Um, which again is what I was saying earlier that basically in Ray, we have this ultimate force for good. And in Palpatine, who happens to be her grandfather, we have the ultimate force for evil. And those are going to be constantly at loggerheads with each other. And it all comes together in this finale that totally makes sense of that particular dichotomy. And it's the one that's been at the series kind of center all of this time uh i don't know if that's going to be the case because i feel like Ma the mandalorian in particular is introducing us to a much grayer version uh or vision i guess of this particular universe so it's going to be more complete more complicated thematically uh thematically more complicated and more complex stories from here on out 
Um, I think that the next trilogy that we have, if they, you know, if they make one, um, in the middle of this coming decade is going to look very different from what we've seen already. But I think that this is a very satisfying culmination of all of the themes that we've been, you know, building toward in this series. So, uh, Chase, basically for you, was it still just you were detached from the series it still just wasn't satisfying because you didn't quite care about those those particular developments. Um, and can you understand why I might find them satisfying? Yeah, I, I can understand it for sure. I think the things that bug me the most are the things that you were satisfied with. Um, I, I the when it was revealed in the theater, uh, I got kind of a sense of what the audience was kind of thinking about when it was revealed that she was uh, the granddaughter of uh, Palpatine. I, I think we were all stunned. We're like, what? Like, that? that's it? That's the big old thing? Um, I had an issue with, you know, in The Last Jedi, because they, they don't really retcon it. They just continue the conversation, and then they finally drop it on her. But, like, in The Last Jedi, like, your parents are nothing. And in this one, he literally says, "Your parents are nothing. I never, I never lied to you." Oh yeah, by the way, you're Palpatine's daughter. It's like, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm just not buying that. Uh, I'm also not. I, I also did not buy the sacrifice, um, that Kylo, uh, made with with Ray because it it was it was already uh, shown in the script that this was going to happen as soon as she. Uh, impaled him and healed him on that ship. I was like, okay, he's gonna return the favor at the end. Uh, so I was expecting it. So that that's not really the issue. It was the connection to his mother that just just gone, and then it just it cuts to uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character, and then we cut back. Like it just, I think it goes back to the problem with like just everything ha- just happening so quickly. And just so much is thrown at us that we don't have time to breathe. And these are major characters that have been around for maybe only this new trilogy. Some of them have been, have been around since the first, you know, three that were introduced. And it, I don't know, just every didn't have any weight to it for me. And I, I guess that's where the void comes in is all these big shocking moments, especially with like General Hux. Like we didn't even talk about him. Uh, when- yes, so basically he ends up being a, uh, a completely self-serving spy for the resistance within the First Order, which is actually kind of renamed the Final Order because of, uh, because of Palpatine's plans. Um, and there's a, there's a higher officer, too, above him named Pride, played by Richard E. Grant, who I think is actually having a lot of fun here. Uh, not a very big role, but I think he was, he was chewing his scenes nicely. And, um, yeah, at some point, the Hux helps them escape a situation. Pride immediately sees through the facade and kills Hux. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's shocking. It's kind of, it's kind of jarring. It's very quick. I think that what it was more supposed to do than just like tell us that Hux dies more. So I think it's weighted toward just how smart pride was. And so that's that's all. I I think that I mean I guess I can see how it would be a problem because it was so it, it was seemingly rushed, but I think that um that you have this 
occasionally in some of these series where there's this character who's seemingly pretty important who's kind of cast off because basically the script is saying nobody's safe. And so even this seemingly, you know, huge kind of towering villain ends up being kind of a weasel, <laughs> you know, who's who's completely self-serving. He doesn't want he doesn't want the resistance to win. He just wants Kylo Ren to lose. And that's that's all he wants. And, and Pride I, I totally sees get that immediately. Exactly. And I, I, I get where you're coming from, but like that one scene in particular just highlights most of my issues with this film is it just seems like JJ is trying to wrap up everything so so quickly. And like, oh, we got two and a half hours. We got we got to get we got to tie up this in this in this in this in this in. More concentrating on concluding all of that without actually, I, I guess, concentrating on the movie itself. It's just more like it, like a checkbox. Like, oh, we got oh, we got to take care of this character. Um, oh, we got to tie this in here, the here, and the here. It's just like even when they went to like like these places specifically where. Uh, Carrie Russell was at, or were that the the tribe of ex stormtroopers? It was straight up to just set up, uh, you know, uh, uh, post future and Finn's future. It's just like it's it's just like, well, we got we got you know tie this in, we got to tie this in. It just it didn't seem like it was earned. You know what I'm saying? Like it just seemed like yeah. oh, we got to throw it in to tie it up, but it doesn't it doesn't really. It doesn't and feel you know, like it makes sense. I do think I do think that there's an element of Abrams and and uh, his uh, and Terrio trying to maybe convey that it could be that they use those characters again or some of them. You know, I don't know if they're going to use Ray again, but they could use some of these other characters again in 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 a Disney Plus series or in this next trilogy. Not that the trilogy would then be a Skywalker. Thing. It wouldn't have to automatically be that just because it contains characters from the Skywalker saga. They could be on to different things and have different priorities and all of that. It could be that next time we see Poe, he's like some huge general. It could be next time we see Rey, it's just for something functional. You know, I think that basically they're just saying, you know, it's not quite done for them. There are a few loose ends here. Uh, it doesn't tie up everything. It ties up everything for the old characters. But there are some things here that I think could come back, like the fact that, for instance, she does hide or bury those uh, those lightsabers. You know, who knows? It could be that somebody tries to find them again. It could be that, that they're going to be a MacGuffin for for some future thing. There's um, a little bit of uh, um, maybe we business. can find out what uh, what Finn wanted to say to Ray after he brought it up three different <laughs> right. times in the movie. Or or they could include, and I actually kind of want this, Babu Frick. In a movie, uh, Babu Frick is a, an alien who comes up as this sort of like helper who knows a bit of English, but also speaks mostly an alien language. Who helps them to wipe C three PO's memories uh, in order to find out a, uh, um, uh, a crucial bit of information. And it's ab- he's absolutely the most hilarious thing in the movie. He's the, he's one of the best parts of the movie, um, and he is voiced by none other. Than a woman named Shirley Henderson, who once played Moaning Myrtle in Harry Potter, uh, and it is a fantastic voice work, a uh, bit of voice work. Really, really funny, adorable character pops up occasionally. It's basically Abrams's most obvious bit of comic relief uh, in this movie, 
and I think that he's used perfectly. It's a really, really fantastic bit. So you could, you could probably see the potential of Babu Frick showing up in, in somewhere. I, I don't think that they would have introduced him in this final movie in the franchise if they weren't going to use him somewhere else. And, you know, obviously it's all a big shared universe. We learned this week, I don't know if you had already watched it, but um, in The Mandalorian that, that the healing powers were possible. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with, um, with uh, Baby Yoda, I guess, uh, spoilers on that too, but, um, and that show's doing an excellent job of setting itself apart from this particular big, uni- you know, big part of the universe, big part of the storytelling venture. I think that we're gonna, we're going to be seeing more stuff like that than this from now on but i think that we are going to see some of these characters and um, right if we if we can have like standalone adventures movies standalone trilogies don't, that don't connect to anything that's fantastic right I, exactly I, I think that 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 once again just kind of go, goes back to like what i'm i guess what i'm just I, once again I, I don't know how to get my words out because i'm just i'm so conflicted and so mixed on this if this was like just a generic space adventure movie like it's pretty good. It's pretty. It, right. Like it's fine. But the fact that it's trying to wrap up forty plus yeah, years it's the weight, of stuff. It's like I said, the the weight of expectation. Right. It's the weight of it's the weight of all of everything that it's trying to do, and it's a lot. And, oh, and I again, I mean, we've I we've kind it. of we've kind of talked about how it moves a little too quickly. It really does. I, I think that it's trying to, you know, kind of consume us almost right. <laughs> with everything that it's trying to do. And um, yeah, I mean. Because I, I hated the end. I hated the fact that she said Ray Skywalker, mm. and I was okay with her just saying, my name is Ray. Because, like, she needed to be her own person. She needed to have her own identity, given the fact that she was linked to one of the worst people in the universe. Um, I just uh, – I had a real issue with um, her at the very end. Uh, are, you, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, uh, I, I was just saying that another I, another switch off another switch off, guys. I don't know what's going on with my internet, but sorry about that. <laughs> okay, we're, we're almost done. Um, but no, I was just saying that it, it it would make more sense to me if she said my name was Ray, I you know, and that's it because she's her own person. She's going to start her own journey and like disconnect herself from her terrible family history. So her saying Ray Skywalker, like I, that just was to annoying. me was just like. <laughs> Hey, let's just uh, give the people what they want, type of deal. And I just like guys that no, that doesn't make sense for her <laughs> character. She's she has always been her own thing. Even when she was connected to Palpatine, and she realized that she still wanted to disconnect herself and be her own thing. And so it's her saying, "Ray, my name is Ray Skywalker," as the last line in this nine film arc, I, right? It just it it did make sense to me. Ah. Uh. And like that's going to be your ending stain on these movies, you know? Yeah, I totally get it. It's one of those situations where I didn't resist anything or almost anything that you did, but I can also understand why somebody would. Um, I just, you know, this is sort of a it worked for you or it worked for me, not for you kind of thing <laughs> where, right. you know, I totally understand it all. I just had a different reaction. I felt like it was uh was satisfying so all right and, folks and that's once, it and once again i i don't know names i don't know specifics i right. could I, I i could be like joel who who was the blark blark uh <laughs> the the creature in the back well, see see blark blark i'm just kidding <laughs> blark blark has this history of like oh my god he was real <laughs> <laughs> there you go 
that would be a joke that I would tell guys. Uh, trust me. Um, but yeah, again, like I like I was saying earlier, it's you know it's an A minus for me. It's a C from from Chase, and uh, that's it. It's we're we're on we're either on e- on both sides of this, or I guess I'm on the positive end. You're in the middle, and that's that's basically it. So at, le- at least I got Mark on my team. Mark, right. Mark is on the same team as me. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Neither of us always agree uh, agrees with him, but um, but yeah, in this case, y'all were both disappointed. I. I felt like I was watching a different movie. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Uh, that's it. That's our episode, guys. Uh, for those who stayed, thank you um, for staying through. And I hope you got some uh, some more insight out of our spoiler discussion. Um, and we will see you next time. Uh, we're recording three big episodes, but the first one that you will get is whenever we post it. But it is the Little Women Review episode um, probably next Saturday. So right, so um, let me let me give you guys the layout because you're getting a lot of content between now and the most anticipated episode. So on Monday, December 23rd, just real quick, you guys are getting a I won't say the number or what I'm reviewing, but a batch of them. I will also have uh, another review. Not going to say which one because it could it could play into Monday. It could not. I I don't know my schedule yet. I'm going to have another one. Uh, drop on either uh, Friday the 27th or uh, the 28th. I I haven't decided. And then we will drop the Little Women episode on December 30th. And we're going to do the same thing like we did last year, um, December 30th. And then we'll drop the top 10 episode on December 31st. And then the most anticipated of 2020 on January 1st. So... You're going to be getting in the ballpark of like 10 to 12 things in the next like week and a half. So I'm just saying get ready for it because uh, you're going to get a lot. So hit that download button and uh, burn burn a, you know, uh, uh, burn your finger doing it because it's going to be a lot. So I just wanted to say that was the, the schedule uh, before we, we headed out. Oh, and I guess uh, might as well tell people – the first two episodes of the new year since it's still 2019 business. Yeah, go ahead. So, so the first review episode of 2020, basically it'll be a couple weeks before we get to 2020 movies because we still got some unfinished business. We're going to be reviewing 1917, uh, on the show. We're going to be reviewing uncut gems on that same episode and that's on the weekend of the third. So we're not getting to the grudge, although I will be reviewing that on my website. Um, and then just mercy will be the next Shared review. I don't know if we're both doing a hidden life, but I will certainly be doing it on uh, the tenth. That's the tenth. So that's basically our our um, our final two episodes reviewing pretty much anything from from 2019, and then we'll get into the to the new stuff. And I won't get into that right now, but um, I'll get into that closer closer to the uh, closer to the gap. But uh, yeah, so there you go, folks. Uh, it's going to be a really big final couple weeks here. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed re- our reviews this year. It's been a great year. Let's uh, let's wrap it up uh, in two ways. One, this episode, and another way, this year and decade. Oh, and I guess I'll just tell people this too. Sorry, one final thing. So uh, on January – on the weekend of January 31st and on the weekend of February 7th, we will be doing in two parts our shared picks for the 10 best films – or not shared picks, but – our separate picks for the 10 best films of the 2010s. We had to do it at some point. I couldn't quite fit it into the like, 
you know, right after the, um, uh, the review episodes we have just because there is a lot in January, but we are going to be doing it on those weekends. So really excited. It's been a great decade for movies. I mean, uh, it's a little harder to judge, I guess, uh, with simple terms, a decade, but it's, uh, it's been a decade. So yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. And here's to the new, de- here's to the new year and the new decade. So, all right, folks, that's about it. That was, that was episode 304. Uh, Chase, you want to take us out? Yep. So that was 304 and we'll see you guys in the next one, which is little women. And, uh, once again, watch out for all those mini reviews. They coming at you. So, uh, that is uh, Joel over there. I am Chase and we'll see you guys uh, next time for another, uh, just, slew of episodes so get ready for it and uh we'll see you guys next time bye 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 now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the dominion energy reliability investment Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.